0: restaurant unstoppable episode 794 with
1: leo holtman obviously we still use our page and we communicate through it but we don't really try to grow it necessarily the two most important things in a restaurant is atmosphere and then the actual product so as long as i have a cool space and if i have something that is already instagramable just because it's delicious and people love it they'll do the marketing for me they'll take the picture of it they'll post it on their social media and I don't need to hit a million people all over the country. I just need to hit their 500 friends in Miami that are like, do you guys do Rap Supremes? What?
0: Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and in today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become Unstoppable. Procter & Gamble Professional provides a wide range of cleaning and disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning and disinfecting products you need and the peace of mind you deserve. Not only does Procter & Gamble Professional make you cleaner, it also makes you more efficient. Don Professional pot and pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor. Don Professional, it's clean, upgraded. This episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And Seven Shifts is trusted by over 400,000 restaurant professionals because it gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www7 Slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today. But before we get into it, just a quick reminder on how you can support the show. You can support our sponsors. If you support our sponsors, they continue to support the podcast. It's that simple. And I do not let anybody sponsor the show or just anybody sponsor the show. Uh, you can also check out our links. A lot of the time, these tools and services that get recommended organically on the show have affiliate programs. And if they do, I, I join those programs and I get paid a commission every time you use our links. So if you hear about a tool or service on the show, make sure you go to the show notes, use the links and you might be supporting the show, and it 's at no extra expense to you as a matter of fact. I could even save you money if you use our links uh, and then share this podcast with people that you know who are are you know trying to be the best version of themselves or they just want to make our industry better the mission statement is to inspire empower and transform the industry and the more people that have access to this information can see what greatness looks like uh and and that's really what we're trying to do is we're we're trying to give you restaurant owners and operators a picture of perfection or or the closest thing to it and I, i hope you guys are aiming to be more like these people that i have on the show and if we can give you this aiming point of values and, and efficiency that I know will, will transform the industry. We'll be better together. And that's what it's all about. And then lastly, come hang out in restaurant Stoppable network. Uh, that's where a lot of these bonus episodes are happening and really where I'm taking my relationships uh, with past guests and my listeners to the next level. And I would love to meet you. So come, come join the network. So today we're talking to Leo Holtzman and I'm really excited about this conversation. Uh, Leo actually reached out to me and I don't always take requests for people to be on the show. I I honestly like maybe 1% of the people that reach out to me, I actually get on the show and Leo, there was just something about Leo, his story. um, And I don't know, like he, it's really cool to get perspective from people who are going through it right now, who are, who are coming up within the past two years and, Building businesses from scratch the way that leo did it and there's just a lot of information we can learn and just making an example these people who are going through it right now i think is a lot different than making an example of people who went through it maybe 20 years ago the world has changed so much and not to mention leo's come up story is really incredible so he got his start in hospitality at the University of Central Florida UCF where he majored in psychology and hospitality management and theater and uh, he, he was always he knew that his, his goal was becoming a magician and he was working in restaurants and bars uh, as a bartender to kind of pay the bills as he was going through school and his his uh, his passion he still has a passion for magic but he was able to combine his passion for magic and his, his passion for hospitality and bartending into like this unique song proposition, where he performed magic while bartending in this, and he was good at it. I mean, he was good, he was he was a natural server, and he used this unique song proposition to to create opportunity for himself. So from uh, UCF University of Central Florida, he went back to Miami. He was bartending at the Cadillac Ranch, where he became the manager pretty quickly. He saw that there was an opportunity at SLS South Beach Hotels. Uh, They're going to be opening a new property in Las Vegas, uh, and he got on early. He was a bar back at Katsuya Dragon Lounge, and within six months, he became the the, the lead bartender and manager at this resort bar, uh, and he got a lot of attention, and it wasn't long before he started to create a real reputation for himself, and then uh, he had an opportunity to move back to Miami, where he partnered on the, uh, or I think it was a t- tobacco bar, I can't remember the exact name of the bar in his own bar, uh, the cocktail collection, and they were crushing it, getting great accolades, uh, really developing a brand. And then like overnight, the building that his cocktail collection bar was located and got demolished uh and now you can see why i wanted to get him on the show because he just there's so much that he was doing right and he uh and he 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 got there and he got his 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 dream uh bar ripped away from him and he could have just called it quits and like said you know this industry sucks it's so unpredictable but no he he from there created cocktail conjuring where he did pop-ups and events and he did some consulting and it was around this time that AJ, his business partner reached out to him and he, um, AJ, I guess, I guess you could say Leo made an impact on AJ. Uh, cause he, he experienced Leo's ability as bartender as a guest. Uh, and, and when he knew that, Leo was available, he reached out and they collaborated on SoCal Cantina, uh, which is still going strong to this day. And they're actually uh, scaling, opening multiple locations throughout the nation. And I think that there's just a really great story of just per- perseverance, uh, putting your nose down and there's you're going to see that this episode there was so many nuggets gold dropped in today's episode so i'm so happy i took this opportunity to connect with leo while i was out in florida and i mean i'm really rambling on now so with no further ado here it is leo holtzman With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, co-founder of SoCal Cantina and founder of Cocktail Conjuring Inc., Leo Holtzman. Leo, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: Yes, I'm feeling unstoppable. Dude,
0: I cannot wait to get into today's conversation, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us?
1: Yeah, I was actually uh, asking my staff what that would be, and uh, they were like, do it now. Do
0: it now. Why is that? What your your staff suggested?
1: Yeah. Uh, it goes through like a lot of different reasons. Um, so it can be something as small as like, for example, we're adding a, a new eighty six board to our uh, our kitchen, and we you know we were using a whiteboard and just you know a guy hit on the door and it'd fall apart. So I was <laughs> like, well, I'll just get idea paint, which is a you know whiteboard paint. And it was the we just decided to do this on, you know, the day before St. Patrick's Day. So I come in at like seven in the morning and I'm looking at my business partner who's like helping up with all the prep. And he's like, should we do that now? You know, he's like, it's going to have wet paint during St. Patrick's Day. And I was like, yep. And was it wet during St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, I mean, it takes like you know, it takes like four or five hours to drive. But it's so usually you would be like, maybe we should wait on a slower day. But you know, that's kind of like my mantra is like get it done with so you can move forward. You know,
0: I love to say there ain't nothing to it but to do it. So uh, and there's a lot of truth to that. We sometimes we'll make this to do list and it just grows and grows and grows and we never get around to it. But you gotta even after like a 12 hour day. You know, you got to find that little bit of extra juice in the tank just to crank out these things that are going to make your business better. Because if you don't make time for it, you're just going to stay in one place.
1: Exactly. So from those 12 hours, that one extra hour of work, as long as it's, you know, towards a system or something that's going to propel your business forward, it's better to just get it over with now because it's going to make the rest of the year easier.
0: Yeah, man. Ain't nothing to it but to do it and just get it done. I love it. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? And just for a little bit of a precursor, um, and this is a compliment what i'm about to share i don't usually let people on the show who reach out to me who are listeners to the show because i i do try to keep that level of my guest calling out future guests because it's just a natural filter and it's it's a word of mouth mentoring right um but you reached out to me and i looked into it a, a little bit and i was like wait there's, there's something here and i'm happy you did reach out to me because you have an incredible story man of just perseverance and overcoming like you think you get your break and then your building gets destroyed. We'll get into that. Um, you, you were on a path to being a magician and you, know, you, you just discovered the world of cocktails. I just think that your story is awesome and I love your hustle. So I'm super excited to get into this. But where does it make sense to start sharing your story?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, from the first time I ever stepped behind a bar, um, which was in college. Uh, I went to UCF. Uh, my idea there was to go work for the mouse as a magician. You know, I had already won uh, the International Brotherhood of Magicians uh, in 2006, the close-up champion of the world yeah, uh, in the junior category because I was 16 at the time. Um, and so that's, you know, that's what I always wanted to do. And I was like, what a better place than UCF. You know, yeah. Disney World is the land of magic.
0: Don't make my microphones disappear. They're expensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what point in your life were you like, okay... Um, I mean, because you went to school, you, you you did have hospitality in your background. Yeah, well, this so is I, while you were you're doing your magic. So there must have been something inside of you that you thought maybe hospitality
1: it was well, just. Well, I, it. I actually a uh, triple majored. so it was yep. theater, psychology, and event management. So okay. the psychology effect was for obviously like the perception aspect of magic. Yep. Uh, then the um, hospitality was for more how to like sell yourself, okay. you know, theater for the performance. But like you because know, I was it was more event based. You know, my dad was into events, So I was like, if I'm going to be a performer, I need to find out what my real worth is to these event managers and how to work my budget in with them.
0: Okay. So back to the hospitality aspect where you said if you you studied hospitality because you want to learn how to sell yourself, what made you think that hospitality was the path to do that?
1: Uh, I mean, that's where the, like the biggest market for magicians was, was doing like Christmas parties and big events for companies. And you know, the, when CEOs to their parties, you know, a lot of value for the magician is, we actually give like an out for them to, you know, have... So they're showing someone something instead of, you know, trying to be like, oh, I can't talk to you right now, you know? So after yeah. they get the deal done, they're not wasting time with the same client that's trying to overbuild a relationship.
0: And that's a good point when you think of what... Um, I mean, obviously being a magician, there's the, the the actual skill, like a chef would have a skill, right? But at the end of the day, you're also selling yourself in the events because you're in a you are an event company first, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Um, so at what point take us to the point where you're like, okay, maybe magic's not going to be my path.
1: Yeah. But. Um, so like I was bartending at, um, UCF and I, I, you know, I would do, uh, it's called the moat sports bar where, uh, uh, they're not open anymore. It's been quite some time, but, uh, you know, I actually lied and I said I had already bartended before and I just, you know, to get the job and they were like, man, you're the most, you know, it took them like six extra months to open. But once I came through, they're like, We were the most excited to have you work. And I was like, you know, I knew I had something to prove. So I just stayed one page, one page ahead of the group. I was like reading all these cocktails and I was paying, you know, reading up as much as I could on bars. And, you know, I faked it till I made it. And and I became like their main bartender. I was doing magic there. So this is at UCF. Yeah. And you said it was the moat. The moat it's standard for the uh the mother of all um tailgates, okay, it was a bunch of guys that had like a cool tailgating idea for u c f got it, and they all put their money together and opened a bar, so they also had no idea what they were doing at the time,
0: so you had something to prove because you kind of fibbed and you didn't want to basically you know disappoint anybody right? exactly <laughs> which you know
1: yeah, which made me i think it probably actually helped me because i didn't want to be caught in that, so I just was always you know pedal the metal doing everything i could to be ahead of the crew
0: okay um and i know you also worked with the cadillac ranch that was at ucf too right
1: uh no so all right so finished school um was gonna do magic i was still doing in the off season like i had booked a lot of events you know i was doing really well but there's on season and off season right so after mother's day is basically the same as restaurants you know during the summer is the dead time for performers and events so i didn't really have a lot of work and that's when i graduated and i moved down to miami
0: Okay. Um, when you were working at the moat, um, was there anybody that kind of saw something in you? Was there a key mentor here that helped steer you on this path or at this point were you still pretty much committed to magic?
1: Um, I, I mean, I just like to learn everything around me. I'm kind of a, I guess a little bit of an academic if you yeah. ever doing like the enagrams yep. of your personality. Um, So I just like to learn everything around me. So I did have two like mentors there, but I didn't realize it was from, you know, restaurants until I I ended up opening a restaurant.
0: Okay. You know what year, which that was uh, fast forward in a few years. though, right.
1: For which the first restaurant you opened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's, you know, I I never thought I would ever be able to open a bar. I didn't really have come from money or anything from that. You know, I, but I guess we'll get there soon. (laughs) So your
0: first business, correct me if I'm wrong, was that the cocktail collection?
1: Uh, yes, that okay. was the first bar we opened.
0: So before that, you also had the Cadillac Ranch. You also had SLS South Beach, uh, Ketsula. Am I saying that Ketsula? Ketsu- Ketsuya? Ketsuya. Ketsuya Dragon yeah. Lounge, which was out in Las Vegas. Uh,
1: no, that was in uh, that was the South Beach. Okay, so these are all the bar jobs I had up until the point where I was able to open my own space.
0: So at what point were you thinking? Like, you, you, what point did you recognize that you might have a, sp- a unique talent as a bartender?
1: Um. I would say probably not really until all the way up until I was at SBE at the Katsuya at the Dragon Lounge. That was the first time when I was like, maybe this is what I do forever.
0: Okay. What made you think that?
1: Um I had a um so when I was there I would I had at that point I was the cocktail conjurer. You know, that's my Instagram's account. And the idea was to do a magic and cocktail show. So I was already kind of incorporating it, trying to differentiate myself and offer like a different experience where I would, you know, the show was I would do like ten minutes of magic make a really cool cocktail and tell a story about that and tie that in. And it was basically, you know, a 40 minute show with three drinks in between.
0: So this is what I love about your story. When we had that phone call while I was driving down here, um, that really like pulled me in cause you, the, the big lesson up to this point, um, and it hasn't really even fully come out yet in our conversation that what is your unique selling proposition? What unique thing do you bring to the table that you can lean into to create a unique experience for, for, your, your end user. Right. Yeah, And for you to combine your, your skills with magic and to incorporate that into your, your talent for creating cocktails. I mean, I just feel like it's like a, such a, you're instantly just like a powerhouse. Like, cause no, like very few people can compete with that.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, I talked to my girlfriend about this a while ago and it was, she was basically like, you know, you doing magic, even though you don't necessarily have it and like you don't perform all the time anymore a lot of the way that you the thought process of creating a trick and an act like all the the you know the inner workings of it it's reflected in a lot of the systems that we do in our restaurant which you know allow us for a lot more efficient and sometimes like you know the magic of service you know like yeah. people don't realize they're like how the hell did I get these four complicated cocktails on my table in two minutes? Or
0: how did my plate just disappear in front of me? I didn't even, you know, like just like being, you know, just like being able to swoop in and not be noticed and just like create that seamless experience. Right. Exactly. As much as you can. Yeah. Right. Um, was there anybody who like really pulled this out of you and like helped steer you on this path?
1: Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't say there was anyone specific as far as like combining the magic and cocktails. You know, that was, I would say that was kind of my own just brainstorming. Like I was working at a restaurant. I was trying to think, how am I going to make it? You know, where can I, where is it really going to click? And, you know, I was doing alliteration that was the cocktail conjuring. It was just kind of like really thought processing and seeing how it could work. But there was someone who first brought the idea that I could open my own bar. Okay. You know, because I, I thought I only had to, you know, with the event, business was different. I was only looking to sell myself to the, you know, the people that would hire me for those events all over the world. I wasn't thinking of like a continuous like audience.
0: Okay. So um, this person that identified that you could open your own bar, was that after Katsuya?
1: Uh, it was actually at Katsuya. So I left okay. for two months to go travel Europe because I was young and I nice. could, which was a great experience.
0: Side note, if you are young and you're listening to this and maybe you're in high school and you want to go to college for culinary, I'm not going to say don't do it, but go travel and get that experience before because yeah. you're not going to make a lot of money when you graduate culinary school. And, you, and I think having that experience, being able to travel and to experience hospitality throughout the world and to go work for great places, like – super were you working when you traveled or not
1: no i was just backpacking through europe and i I did i did do magic like on the like on the side of the streets (laughs) like for for euros
0: so i feel like you correct me if i'm wrong you developed the most as a hospitality professional at katsuya correct
1: oh yeah that was the first time i realized what a cocktail could be
0: okay so let's dive into this take us through your experience at katsuya
1: okay um from the beginning yeah uh, so I was just leaving Cadillac Ranch, you know I was I had worked my way up and basically been uh, the general manager uh, Acting general manager of the space and then they got bought out and so I knew my job was gone and I was like All right, well what's next and someone said, you know You're a great bartender and you really know the business. You should go to SB and SLS. They're opening a hotel Okay, so I went there. Uh, the interview process was super brutal. It was like two three weeks I had to go like six times to South Beach, which any mainlander will tell you is not an ideal situation you know and uh so after they asked me all these questions and at that point I didn't really have great liquor knowledge or idea of cocktails or you know any knowledge of botany and so when uh and the manager liked me and liked my personality and they really hire personality first and so she offered me a position as a barback so I went all the way from the very top of the restaurant to the bottom of the food chain
0: i think that's so smart though and i think a lot of people don't do that because they they look at it as going backwards, but you gotta look at what your ceiling is where you are. Right. So you gotta take a step back sometimes to get away from, you know, whatever ceiling you're under to get a higher ceiling. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's when you learn the most too, yeah. you know, like I, I kind of, you know, now that I own a full blown restaurant, part of me wishes I would have added a few years in a kitchen as a line cook there. So I had more of that traditional learning What's, from there.
0: What, what specific things would you have hoped to learn from the kitchen before opening your own place?
1: Um, just different um, ways to run the kitchen, you know, like everyone has a different style, you know, and I, I think it's helped us that we have a different thing. But then we have other guys come in and, you know, sometimes we've edited our system because there's some things that do work and don't work for us.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's good to know all aspects of a business for sure. Exactly. We'll get into it. You, you you did find a business partner that compliments you.
1: Yeah, right? so, exactly. Which is, yeah, that's a great thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but going forward, getting deeper into uh, Katsuya, um, really pull us like, Paint that picture of like what was happening. Continue on that path that you're on.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I got hired as a barback, and, you know, it was a posh hotel. So they super overstaffed as, you know, so I was basically working 65, 70 hours a week. Damn. And then my paycheck for two weeks was like $800. Okay. So that's like 150 hours, which. That's not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah. not, I was doing pretty good before. So I was, you know, and I, but I loved, you know, the cocktails there. Cause I remember in training, you know, this guy made these drinks and I took a sip and I was like, I'm pretty fair. And I was like, but well, I definitely need another sip of this. You know, it's called the Burning Mandarin. Okay. It's the first time I saw like spice in a cocktail that didn't destroy the drink it just kind of gave you like that little reminder that you just had a sip of alcohol yeah
0: and i think that's where people get caught up because you're looking at what you're bringing home every week but what are you gaining right what you're you're, you're being opened up to a whole new world of possibility right and you're getting educated and all that stuff is so invaluable right you got to put a price to that
1: yeah and it's a good time to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes you know
0: so what were some of the big mistakes what are the biggest lessons you learned during this time aside from how to do the the, the thing how to make the cocktail
1: Um, I mean, I, I would actually say just one aspect of the cocktails and it leads to a lot of our bar program now is just how many different ways you can fuck up lime juice, (laughs) (laughs) you know, cause there's, there's a million ways to do it and they're not all created equal. And I learned that by, you know, only, only by doing it.
0: Yeah. What about leadership? Were there any people that, um, you looked up to as a manager or as a leader that, you know, you, you pulled a lot of those lessons from them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's two. Um, one was, uh, Ryan McCallum. Okay. Um, He was the general manager. Um, He's still to this day one of my favorite managers that I ever had. You know, he he was a great guy. He was he was a um, he was like an actor too. So he had like you know he had a lot of showmanship and he brought that into it. But he was just able to unite the whole team, front and back of the house. You know, with the way he did his pre shows, the way he incorporated everyone, and he was able to you know a restaurant is a family, so he was able to really have that you know distinction where he was definitely your boss, but a lot of people still. You know would hang out with him you know and and but he didn't cross that line and no and never lost respect and a lot of times a lot of people think you have to have you know you know that managers can never hang out with the staff after there and he broke that all the time and it really made that restaurant crew like above and beyond okay. he was never like you know it was never uh uncouth or anything like that it was just like like if you after you all went and got one drink somewhere he would be there for one drink and okay then he this is what i was gonna ask like,
0: what does that look like what is walking that line of being with the, the team and being present but not crossing it and being too close to the team and getting you know sh- smashed with the team like paint that picture of how he bounced this and you already said like have, go out with people have wondering bow out what else
1: yeah um just how he was with people like he actually cared about each individual's person you know each individual and like what they were about and he knew enough about them but not enough to like pry just to be like okay i just want to understand what's going on in your yeah. life Just enough to know
0: that you do care, exactly that you are interested.
1: Um, So, and
0: that was going to be my follow up question: like how how was he uniting the team? He said he was able to unite the team, and it sounds like it was. So he 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 did one. He he took the time to learn about the people on his team just to know who he had right and what was there in front of him. But what else was he doing to unite the team? Reflecting back at this time,
1: Uh, he would also give like genuinely good advice that you could actually work out. You know, like you know, there's a lot of times when the back house in front of house would argue. You know, for a myriad of reasons. And a lot of times he would just explain what situation they're coming from. He's like, look, they just have a table that is hungry and this is what it wants to go. They just need a time so they can plan for it. So they are not barking at you to get their food out they just want to be, you know, they just want to know exactly what's going on.
0: Yeah. So he, he literally just help people sympathize. Like yeah. this is where they are or empathize. Like this is where they are and you get to put yourself in their shoes. And sometimes we, we don't take that time to, to think about other people's perspective. We're just concerned about our perspective and what what's on our plate right now. Right. Mm-hmm. So to helping people see the other perspective, what else?
1: Um, Well, so him and this, uh, I'm not sure which one did it, but there was a a chef there, David Les Was
0: that the second person you were going to mention?
1: Yeah. And there was one very specific thing that he would always do. And uh, Ryan would kind of take this in a different way, but it was the same concept. And, you know, sometimes things happen in a kitchen or in a team and like people can argue and they, you know, for maybe it's, they're not doing exactly what's expected of them or they're like, they're not doing their job to the T or they said something. You know, or you know, their you know, kitchen staff hangs out and maybe it was an emotional thing. And so whatever there would be a tiff, he would go up to him and was like, Hey, come over here right now.
0: And this is David you're talking about. Yeah. Yep.
1: And he would take out a pad and he's like, What just happened and what's the issue? And he wrote it down and he goes, We're gonna have a post shift and talk about this, and get back to work.
0: Yes. Okay. Um, so huge lesson there, what is it?
1: It's you can't bring emotion into the game and like you can't break up the system. You yeah. Know? Like and, the job is the most important thing from our opening hours.
0: Yeah, and don't wait don't critique somebody don't give them feedback don't distract them in real in, time in service exactly because yeah. if you do that that's where their brain's going to be they're not going to be focused on the job that i love that act of what's the issue write it down and make and when you write things down you're like something like 10 times more likely to come back to it or something like. yeah
1: that. i mean that, that's just a trick for like entrepreneurs in general like yeah. i was like you want to know the secret to being your own boss is every day you wake up, write down a list and do each of those things.
0: And you've probably seen it before where you're out to eat and you, you see a a clearly a manager or like a higher up scolding somebody like maybe around the corner from like the main dining room, but people can still see it and hear it. That person's not listening to a damn thing you're saying. They're just thinking about how embarrassed or how much they hate you right now in this moment because you're embarrassing them in front of their colleagues. And you know what I mean? Like it's the worst thing to do. Um, so going back to Ryan, I, and thank you for for sharing uh, David too. You mentioned incorporating everyone. Um, give me an example of how he would do that and why that's so important.
1: He would let anyone go from front of house to back house if they really wanted to was one thing. And so okay. like he wanted to make sure that you were doing the job you wanted to do that you thought you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just he would, you know, like there were no clicks in the restaurant, you know, it was one family. So if like he would just call you out, basically if someone was talking, he's like, hey, what were you talking about? You know, bring it like in the pre-shows he would address it
0: yeah and i mean just the, these little things like going back to psychology like maslow's hierarchy of needs and i'm such a friggin' broken record sometimes but just seeing someone right recognizing seeing somebody is one of those human needs we need to be seen we need to be recognized and like keeping that in the back of your mind and you know like saying like oh like what do you have to bring to the conversation like what what value what perspective do you have is so important
1: yeah. um and also like when like in pre-shows he would do a lot of uh you know, like kind of like employee test, just like, hey, like what's in this cocktail? And he would do both sides. So, you know, so there's like when we did like a group pre-shift, he would ask the kitchen. He's like, what's in the Katsuya Fresh, you know? Yeah. And the guy would be like, I don't fucking know, you know, and then he would look at it. And then he's like, well, think about it. And he's like, OK. And he would be like, OK, maybe I do know my menu and he could name two or three in the ingredients. And then we'd let him know the other ones. And it wasn't to call him out. It was just be like. You need to know both sides of the restaurant across the board. Yeah. And it's not good to have that separation where like, you know, if one of the, you know, your staff also advertises your place. Yeah. So if they're out and about and someone's like, oh, what kind of drinks do you have? And you're like, I work in the kitchen. I only know the food. I'm like, that restaurant manager failed. I want everyone to love our stuff across the board.
0: What's the result of constantly making it like habitual to ask your team random questions? What's going to happen? They're going to learn it. Yeah. Why? Why?
1: because they want to be have the right answer. You know? <laughs> exactly.
0: It's it's that simple. So if you make it a part of your, your pre-shift, just to start randomly, or just not even in the pre-shift, just randomly. start. At, if people know that you're going to ask, and you're going to be held accountable, they're going to take that studying seriously, because nobody wants to look like a schmuck. So, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Accountability is key. Yeah, you know, I love you it. You have to have that.
0: Great lessons here, man, on just leadership um, and just how to, in management for sure uh what about you how were you evolving at this time like who were you when you came into Kata, uh, katsuya and who were you when you left
1: yes yeah, so, i mean so when i went in i went with fresh eyes and i knew i had the ability to operate a business like i just i've always been able to do that um i you know i was the captain of like my sports team so i always knew i was good in leadership roles so I figured out with the system that they had at Cadillac Ranch how to do it. And then with SPE I just learned a completely different corporate structure. Okay. You know, and a different way to run businesses based off of numbers and how you really like code all your costs.
0: Okay, get into that. What were some of the key lessons that you didn't the the, the information, the knowledge you didn't have and what were the key ingredients that they gave you working here
1: yeah so uh this was from ryan too um and he it was just basically what percentages you want to hit for all of your costs across the board and how at the end of the day a restaurant can somewhat be boiled down to numbers you know um but i
0: know those percentages to heart yeah drop them (laughs) on us man I know Uh, a lot of people know these percentages, but I feel like it's, I don't know who's listening to this. It might be somebody who is just thinking about getting into the industry or they're, they're, they're dreaming of maybe one day opening a restaurant, but they're still learning. What are those percentages?
1: Uh, labor, you want 13.5. Okay. I mean, all these are also 13.5 or lower. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, rent, you want it to be between six and 15, you know, anything over 15 makes it pretty tough. And then your soft costs are going to be about 10%. Um, you want your liquor costs to be anywhere between 16 and 20, you know? Um, if you beer, 23, wine, 22, um, food costs, uh, you want the total cost. A lot of people use different, you know, menu costing ideas, but you want the general to be about, you know, 27, 28.
0: Yeah. Man, you know? I I lost track. I was accounting. What, what's that leave us? Are we still going?
1: Oh yeah. I'm not adding them all together, but you know, that's, we're pretty much all there now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is you have marketing and profit, but it really only leaves, you know, 10 to 15% for profit.
0: Yeah. And I think the key thing about what you shared or lower Yeah. And I think a lot of times people get caught up because they hit the number and they're like, good, check, done. Yeah. But how can you go lower? Right. And it's in trying to make things better. And like, I think we we hit those numbers sometimes. We think that the job is done. But, you know, the job is always going. It's always trying to see how you can do even better because you can make 20, you can earn 20%. Like, I've seen it, like even more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, but, you know, you also, there is value you will, everything's perceived is perceived value basically so it depends what you do to it you know so we have like certain cocktails that might have lower overall drink costs but they're a little bit more labor intensive mm. so it kind of evens it out you yeah. know because, yeah. you 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 do you know, if you have a drink that takes two minutes to make versus a minute, like that is a cost factor that goes into it. Well, not even just
0: the actual time, the the man hours that go into making that, and but then also the, the end user having to wait five minutes for a drink. Exactly. And what that does how that affects the rest of service. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what else?
1: Um, we're thinking of cost wise. Oh, oh th- this was something I definitely wanted to hit on. Um, so another thing I learned SB is like they have they had percentages for how much you could spend on glassware every quarter and all that. So there would be a time where we're making cocktails, and there's no glassware to pour the drinks into, and so that was another thing I learned is that you can also break those percentages if you need to. <laughs> so now like we always have 10 cases of every single glass that we have in house's backstop, yeah, because I never want anyone to sacrifice service because they can't, they were short on glasses because 10 broke last night.
0: I love that. And I'm actually, the backups is something that I think is underestimated in this industry as well too. And it's something I, like one of the biggest lessons I learned as a commercial pilot, they taught us the four Bs. It's, it's bottom lines, briefings, back doors and backups, mm-hmm. right? And, and uh, i just getting to the point now where I travel with a backup mixer or a backup interface, backup microphones. Why is it so important to have a backup?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so we, <laughs> we call it the magic box and it's actually this little box I bought from Home Goods like years ago for my first bar cocktail collection. Nice. And uh, in it is we ha- I have th- two of every single tool that we use in here that's specialized to us that you just can't get anywhere, you know, like the exact muddlers that we use, yeah, and as soon as anyone grabs one, they just have to text or group chat, you know that they took it, so I always replace that because yeah. I never ever want to have not enough tools.
0: Yes, dude, so w- get into that that system that that check and balance that you use to make sure you always have the right amount of tools so if, if they if they go to, is it like a closet, like a tool closet? That if you take it, like, like and how do they know to text you right after? Yeah.
1: I mean, it obviously doesn't happen all the time. You know, that's why you have two. And they'll yeah. say, hey, there's two there. And then I'll, you know, I'll resend out the chat. Like, I have two for that reason. Yeah. You know? But, and but then I'll, my managers I'll, also check every week inventory. So I know it.
0: Boom. Right there. That's what I was hoping would get to is that you have systems to check, like your inventory. Right. So, like, just like any other par stock, you create a par stock for your backup closet. Right. Yeah. So you, you you have these checks and balances. Um, all right. All right going back to more surface level um thank you for getting into that detail Mm -hmm. um at what point at um i always forget the name of this place you're working at uh katsuya am i saying it correctly yeah katsuya katsuya uh at what point at katsuya were you like okay i can open my own place this might be my new path like i can incorporate magic my skill with magic and become a very successful mixologist restaurateur
1: yeah so i i went to europe came back and then they, were, they told me they're like you're not gonna have your job when you come back. You know you have to reapply, and then I came back and they're like, "Oh, thank God you're here." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, I guess I'm all right." Yeah. And then so I started work the next day. As like the first day I went in there, and uh, and then I think it was it was either like that night or the following night. This guy, uh, his name was Carl. He came up and he goes. Where the hell you been, man? I've been trying to open a bar with you for the last two months. And I was like, what? And I was like, I was in Europe, man. And he's like, you're my favorite bartender that I've ever seen on South Beach. I go to all these bars all the time. And he's like, you're bar none the best that I've seen. And I was like, let's open a bar together.
0: I love that. And I think it's worth bringing to the subject before we move forward that you did take that step back, right? And you're making $800 in two weeks, working 70 hours a week. But you also moved up to management in six months, right? Weren't you like didn't you become a GM or something?
1: There, it was like a supervisor manager role. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's just you know, uh, it happened. It happened mostly because of when I was opening the bar and what they needed from me. You know, I was already kind of doing both because I was very reliable. So like they would sometimes ask me to come and manage certain shifts with them when they were short.
0: Yeah. But I think the point is if you have the goods right if you if you, if you're cut off for this industry and you hit a ceiling wherever you are, if you take a pay cut to go someplace else that has more opportunity, if you do have what it takes, it won't take long for you to get back to where you were
1: yeah if you if you have great work ethic and you know you're on time and you're really like absorbing this information and, and you can actually like use it, you know yeah. that's a lot of thing. A lot of people learn stuff, but they can't really apply what they learn. you know it's like, oh, I learned this script of you know this greeting, but if you if you don't really use that script for what it's for you're not going to get the same payoff, you know, like a lot of people just run through the words and it's like, it doesn't have to be exactly what we're saying. We just want you to hit these points. Yeah. And when you think in terms of that, it makes you just a better, you know, worker all around. Yeah. Framing instead of exactly framing.
0: Exactly. That's how I do everything because I'm not the kind of person that can remember a script. I just can't do it. But if you, if you know the, like the, the, the general point or the, the, the general message you can communicate it, whatever, as long as they get the message.
1: Right? And you have to do that for everything. Like, that's what checklists are really about, too. You know, you're, you're like, there's still a hundred things not on that checklist that you have to do, you know, just like being through the restaurant. But there's those key things that if you do all those, everything else will get done.
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, okay, so uh, now is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. I started this podcast because I have a passion for serving people in the restaurant industry because they have a passion for bringing people together with the ultimate love language, their cooking. But with all that cooking comes great, giant, greasy piles of pots and pans, and we can't waste our valuable time with endless sink changeovers. So we must upgrade to Don Professional Pot and Pan. Don Professional Pot and Pan cleans 58% more pots and pans than the leading competitor less dish soap, fewer changeovers, and more time doing what we love, bringing people together with the ultimate love language, food. Not to mention, Procter & Gamble Professional also provides a wide range of disinfectants for your business needs. Get the cleaning, disinfecting products you need, and the peace of mind you deserve. DAW Professional, it's clean, upgraded. All right, we're back, and um, you were just telling us about how your way – for two months, came back, and there was a guy that was like, hey, man, where have you been? I wanted to open a restaurant with you. Um, take it from there.
1: Yeah, so um, so I was like, obviously, I'm going to jump at that opportunity. So I got his number, and then I ended up going uh, to his place that weekend, and we actually talked about it in more detail. And he said, why don't you go look for some places, and I'll be the money behind it. Okay. you know,
0: So he was... So he was a guest. This person that when you're gone and you came back, he wasn't a coworker. He was a guest.
1: Yeah, he was a guest. He just come out there like, you know, it was a small intimate bar that it, only, it was, you know, I think eight seats and then a service bar that would pump out $15,000 worth of cocktails wow. every night. So take us through your
0: relationship with this guest.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I must have seen him five or six times total that, before that. You that's know? it. Yeah, that was it.
0: See, what I love about this, and, it's, and I think anybody who's a big fan of the show who listens regularly knows where I'm going, but it's worth bringing to the surface, you never know who your future investor is going to be. Treat everyone on the other side of that counter or at the table like it's your future investor because it could very well, nine times out of 10, your investors are your customers, right? Because yeah. they
1: know what you got. Yeah, um, even more than that. Do you want to compound on that? Um as far as what aspect of, of like, of well, times just times that I was introduced to him or,
0: well, no, I'm just the, the idea that like, you know, everybody that you encounter could be a potential investor. Oh, so every, every engagement, every encounter is a, is a, a, business proposition. Yeah. You know? well,
1: well, also every guest is an investor. They're literally giving you money exactly. and a percentage of <laughs> yeah. it, you know? So like, sure. you know, and it, In a way, you're you're doing many performances at the end of the day every time with a guest. Yeah. You know,
0: and it wasn't your it was your magic that really drew him in. Right.
1: Yeah. I think I think it was both of it. You know, I I was at that point. I was I really loved how those cocktails were. I've never had drinks like that. And I that was when I was like, man, these drinks are out of this world. And I was like, so I started to play around with flavors and I was I had a knack for that, too. So I would offer, you know, new drinks um, to them that were like similar in style to those drinks, because that's what I knew at the time. Um, but that weren't on the menu. And then with that, I would show magic and kind of incorporate it. And then I can also get people to, you know, a big thing for magic is I have one person pick a card and you have someone on the other end pick a card and now the entire bar has to be consumed. Uh, you know, so it really makes a bar what it's supposed to be. Show. Yeah. yeah. And there's times when you can go to a bar where people are, you know, if it's like just, you know, a, a bar up against the wall where everyone just kind of sticks to themselves, you know, and I'm a big believer that a bar is an ordinaire; It's where people go to meet. Yeah, that's what makes it great.
0: That's that is the key of really finding a good bartender. And and I think a bartender that can do, you know, create standard cocktails and do the job well that the technician right that do the thing well is good to have that. But the next level of bartending is developing that dialogue amongst the guests, right? Bringing people into conversations like, oh, you should talk to this person. That's next level shit.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, those are like the little tidbits that I didn't realize that they were the real gold that I had learned. And, you know, um, not so much anymore. Every once in a while, I'll still get behind the bar with all my guys and I'll bartend for the whole day and I'll give them little tidbits and they're like, yo, that's really genius. I never thought of that. Like okay. one thing I'll do is, um, I'm so happy
0: you're getting to this. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah.
1: So we'll, uh, they'll make a cocktail and it'll be for someone they, they turn their back, you know, and they're talking to their friends and they're waiting for the cocktail and you're like, Oh, Hey, excuse me. Can you, uh, I have a drink for you. They're trying to get their attention and they just can't do it. And I was like, instead, if it's you know let's say it's a guy you go to the girl that was maybe like looking at him and like hey can you do me a favor can you tap that guy on the shoulder for me or can you hand this drink to him it's a little different now with covid rules we haven't yeah. done this for a while yeah um but if you do that so now that girl has a, a free opportunity without her having to be nervous about it of giving this guy a drink you right. know and yeah. like you know maybe it's nothing maybe she just gives him the drink and it's innocent and that's it or maybe you know he starts Smart up another conversation <laughs> and you know it makes their time but yeah. sometimes people need that nudge to really like you know break the ice to break the ice and that's a a great bartender can do that and it's innocent seamless and and you know he's not you know putting anyone out out of their comfort
0: i mean i did i did make a note under when we get to current time socal cantina to get into some of these because i figured at this point you've common you've you've collected so many little tricks of the trade uh, and things that you do incorporating your, your magic and I do want to dive into some of these things that you can share with a greater restaurant unstoppable audience to take up your bartending to the next level. Um, but did you want to get into anything else before we move on? Um,
1: I, nothing's coming out of my mind, okay. but I'm sure, I'm yeah, sure let's as get we're into talking at all. And happen. for anybody
0: who's listening to this and it's like, Eric, ask more about the magic. Like, don't worry. I'm 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 shelving that. We're going to get into <laughs> it. Um, so, okay. So back to you, this business partner. He propositions you. He says, I want, to, I want to open a restaurant with you. I'll be the money. Take it from
1: there. Yeah. So then I just started looking at spaces and setting up meetings. Um, and there are a lot of duds, a lot of, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to make that next step. And then I, I had a friend, uh, in high school, his uncle owned tobacco road, which was the oldest bar in Miami I had a year, 102 year license. Wow. Um, and so, uh, I went up to him and I was, I think I was like 22 at the time. And I I just asked my friend to introduce and he's like, yeah, I got you. And he had actually asked me for some advice um, at Tobacco Road because they had closed down the bridge there. So their sales were kind of, you know, not what they used to be. And it was an old dive bar in Brickle, which is like a super up and coming city. So and he was just working for his uncle kind of on the side, like nothing official, but he just wanted to pick my brain. He's like, what would you do? And I was like, "Okay." And they had this upstairs space where um, they used to do all these shows. And the bar just, you know, because of all the traffic changes and all the, you know, certain things were, you know, they were only doing music downstairs. They weren't really using the upstairs seven days a week. They would only use it on Saturdays. And so I was like, I would turn that upstairs into a cocktail lounge, you know, and, you know, maybe increase the music or just forget it altogether. And he goes, okay. And this this is when the two, like, came together. So I reintroduced that story and I talked to him about it. And we had that meeting. I was like, well, now I have an investor that's, gonna you know that so players
0: like, it's you it's your investor it's this guy that asked you for your opinion
1: yeah okay so my it was a friend from high school okay. uh paul and he, his uncle was patrick gleaver who was the okay. owner of tobacco road
0: got it um so is there more to that Or can i start pulling back some layers
1: um well yeah so then Oh, the, so the next thing was I, I, he set up a meeting. I told him my idea for cocktail collection, some of the cocktails I wanted to do it. I made him some drinks. I did magic.
0: What was I, the idea for cocktail collection?
1: Um, so it was 10 cocktails, and it was a semi-rotating menu. So at the end of every month, the two least popular cocktails, we would post how many there were, and we did like a savior cocktail party. And then the last two drinks at the end of the month would disappear, and we would replace them with two new ones.
0: Okay. That's cool. Um, so it, it worked. It was a, su- a success, was it not?
1: Yeah, we, we we were crushing it. It was awesome. So what happened? <laughs> um, Wait,
0: before you get into what happened, what does crushing it mean?
1: I mean, I, I had thought I had thought we could do like thousand dollars a day because I was only going to be two bartenders and the space that wasn't being used net at all. Net gross? Huh? Net? Huh? Uh, yeah. Net. Okay. A day, and I was like, that would be you know great. Yeah. You know that for would sure. be a huge win for my first place as a little pop up bar. Yeah. You know.
0: Um, what did you end up doing?
1: About triple that. Nice. So yeah, and, and we and success. we were closed Monday and Tuesday. And how long did you go? So it was about seven months.
0: Okay, um, what the heck? What happened? Why so, did it just stop? I mean, it sounds like it was a success. Why did it just stop?
1: Yeah, so um, the Tobacco Road was a uh, it was uh, being looked at like the landmark, uh, the historical landmark committee. Okay, and at that time they're also building um, what's it called, uh, Brickle City Center. Okay. Right, which is like three it's like a, this huge mall I'm sure you saw yeah, when no, you're no driving about over this, here
0: honest. I probably I was too focused on getting here because I was running a little behind schedule oh. today you should definitely <laughs> walk through it. it's cool yeah, but it's okay. like it's like a
1: billion dollar oh, wow. mall it's and like really high-end stores and they had the three lots and there's still nothing official but everyone you know it's still probably gonna happen in a couple of years they want that they wanted that lot for Brickell city Center okay and the historical committee was coming by to try to make you know tobacco Road a landmark so that land wouldn't have been worth anything So Um,
0: the owner, Patrick, was like, I got to take this paycheck.
1: So, well, no, he, uh, Patrick had already sold the land. So it was a, it was another guy. They sold it years ago for, I'm not sure the price, but I'm sure they did okay. Okay. Um, So basically
0: the the building got demolished.
1: Yeah. So the, the, whoever the landlord was at that time, I'm, I'm not sure of his name, but he basically made sure that it not exist anymore. Where, so now you have two buildings and an <laughs> empty space in between. Oh my gosh.
0: So where were you emotionally at this point? Cause you hit gold, right? Like you're like, you figure like you, you opened your first place. It was a success. Um, I'm also curious too, cause I, I, yeah, answer that question first. Where were you emotionally when, when that happened, when your, your success came to an abrupt end overnight?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not a super emotional person, you know, it's just, and there wasn't too much I can do it. So, you know, we did have, we get to have one really amazing, send off party you know tobacco road where i have pictures of it there were like tens of thousands of people there um but uh i was i was just like all right well what do i do now i definitely took a week where i just like thought about like my next move but i didn't really take it too hard to be honest you know it was frustrating but move on right yeah what am i gonna do Roll the punches yeah Yeah.
0: um hopefully you're putting some money away if you're making you know three thousand dollars a night for uh seven months you probably had a little bit of a
1: cushion we did have a build out cost you know and i did have a deal with that so i was definitely financially worse off at the end of this than when i started because when i was at katsuya i was just saving money yeah because i you know my brother's an architect so we were the ones that designed it okay so we did all that work together so i was just doing that in like overtime
0: um so what i'm curious about is how did you set this up because i think and i wanted to pull back more layers on this before but now that you've kind of shared the story i think it's good to get into it there's always a big venue somewhere that has a little nook or a little cranny that's kind of just tucked away and it doesn't really, there's not much happening in there. Like that's an opportunity to be a separate venue, right? Like look for those, like go to go discover your city Climb into every nook and cranny of every building and look for these vacant opportunities, right? Or just yeah. underperforming spaces. Approach the owners and say, can I do something here? A pop-up, right? Where I, if you have a following, if, you, if you're a well-known bartender or, or chef or whatever, like go find these little nooks and crannies where there's a kitchen or a bar and see if you can't work out a deal. Cause that's a great way to get started.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, so and you I guess, learn a lot.
0: Yeah. So what I'm curious about is how did you set this up financially? Like what were the books looking like? Were you renting the space or like, were you like, how did you, how do you like, what's your advice for renting a space within a space? Uh,
1: so it really depends on the owner cause they have, most of the whole, well you know it depends on both sides and what they want yeah um i generally say like the what i always try to get at the end of the day like you can skin the cat however you want so you need to have your basic um mold like what you need to make the business successful so i try to just make sure it's a 20 they get 20 percent off the top so it's easy for them to record you know and then leaves 80 percent of the sales for me to figure everything else out so it's basically 20 percent rent yeah And it's just for those numbers. You figure your soft costs are 10% and you figure your rent is between 6 and 15. So we'll just go on that. So 10% for the soft costs that they don't make. And then 10% is what they're really making off of that.
0: Okay. And you got to keep in mind too, now this, this business, if it's successful, is pulling business into the space. So if you're successful and people show up, maybe you have a weight into your little nook. Yeah, or maybe you don't They're, offer
1: food and you only do drinks. Exactly. Or so you're going to bring versa. volume
0: into the space. Uh, so there's definitely benefit there. What are some of the things? What are the pros and cons to this?
1: Um, I mean, the pros are uh, definitely like lower startup costs. Um, you um, you know you ease with opening because you don't have to deal with all the, like the licensing in the city and the build out. Um, the downsides are you definitely lose out the pie in the sky theory, right? So you know usually you have a baseline rent. So once you sell. A million dollars everything after that is way more profitable because you don't have to, your rents already covered yeah with a percentage rent that never happens ah. you're always giving that piece so it does make certain things like uber eats would be really difficult to do in a percentage rent because yeah. you'd only have less than 50 cents on the dollar yeah that's a good to point. pay for everything
0: but I mean at the same time if you, you got to give up a little bit of something if you're just getting started because you're also building a repetition or a reputation Um which is invaluable in itself. You're networking in that moment. You're developing a name for yourself, right?
1: Yeah. Like I mean, it, it's, it's in the long run, it's probably not the best idea to do it because you're better off getting a loan or getting someone to just fund you if you can. If you can. Yeah. But this is a really, you know, this is a, a really easy way to do it, especially because you know, the design wise, it's a good and bad thing that you can't control the space, right? Because you're going to have to use whatever design they have, but you also don't, you know, that's also a little bit, <laughs> yeah, of a. It also kind of helps with uh, the cost of building out because you don't have to worry about the build out. And then, you know, no one's going to really judge a pop up too harshly because the paint on the walls isn't, you know, extravagant.
0: So not to date you or anything. How old were you when this is going down? What year was it?
1: Um, This was uh, a cocktail collection was about 2014. Yeah. yeah. And how old were you? So uh, I was 24. Yeah. 24. Twenty-four, yeah, I'm 30, so, thirty-two now. <laughs>
0: so twenty-four years old. How many twenty-four-year-olds out there can go get a loan to open their own place? Yeah, exactly. So like you got to give and take a little bit. But what you're gonna again back to our point earlier, you never know who's on the other side of that bar. It's your future potential, you know, investor. So yeah. like you, you, you can create something. You can show people what you got. You're marketing yourself every night. You know, you're getting your name out there. If you got what it takes, you got to put yourself out there any way possible. Um, and I think that's what you were doing in this time because this this experience set you up for your next success, success did it not?
1: Um, there was a little bit of a break, but it definitely did because I always knew I could do that, yeah. you know. Because, like, as, I went, after we closed, I I ended up we, – we were a very popular bar. So we And it was right when uh, Tinder was around, so we used oh. to do Tinder Tuesdays. Uh-huh. So whenever I would walk in Brickle, everyone would call me Tinder Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but that's
0: smart, though, like yeah, no, to, was, to, to lean on the the trends that people, like, wherever people connect, however people connect, lean on that. Be a space for that.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. and, it, and it was early is right when that was starting to pop off, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was well, seven years ago. It's probably um, the benefit
0: of being 24, 24 years old, because like most of the the other operators that are in their 40s and 50s and 60s aren't looking at these new emerging apps and trends. Right? Yeah, exactly. So you can capitalize on that.
1: I think about that now, you know, cause now I'm probably a little bit out of the loop and I'm like, so what's next? Am I there? You know, I think great cocktails and awesome tacos will always be in the so. back to our,
0: our lesson from Ryan though. Incorporate everybody. Yeah. Cause you you're employing 22 year olds on 18 year olds. What are they doing? Yeah, you exactly. know, like let them, feed into, where's the opportunity, guys? Because you follow the young people. The, yeah. Whatever the young people start doing, usually everyone else catches up to a year or two after.
1: Yeah, and that's all our staff. I always ask them. I'm like, where do you guys go? You know? yeah. Oddly enough, a lot of them come here. <laughs>
0: yeah, I love it. Um, did I cut that story short? So yeah, you, so you, the, the building gets demolished. You take a month or a week off or whatever to regroup. What next?
1: I started doing pop-ups. So I did I cocktail it. collection pop-ups. So it was the same idea, but instead of the whole week, I only did it one day a week. Um, and I had a partnership with, uh, American social, um, which is a bar that's still here and like okay. they've opened several locations. They're great guys. And they had this little bar called the Kennedy bar and it was a separate side room and I would just do it. I believe it was on Thursdays and it changed a couple of different days of the week, but they had just opened and they had asked, you know, who's, who's a really good cocktail guy. And they're like, we had, we asked five guests. And your name came up five times. Wow! So they set up the meeting with me.
0: That's exactly how I find guests on restaurant staffable. By the way, I let other people refer. Yeah. <laughs> and like whoever gets the overlap is usually who I go after. It's a great way to f- figure out who's who for sure. Um, so this is I want to spend some time here because I uh, I think for the for the at least a few years I was big on pop ups being the way you break into the industry finding vacant space working out a deal with the owner what what advice do you have for scouting the space and for working out those deals? Is it same as before the 20% uh,
1: there? I'm trying to think exactly how we did it. I think it was actually reversed there because, you know, depending on how it is with the licenses and all that is, you know, they were like, well, we'll, we'll buy all your liquor. We don't want outside liquor there. And they would buy the, the fruit and everything. So it was actually flipped. What I did with them is I got 20% of the sales. Okay. And then they kept everything else.
0: Okay. Which did you like better?
1: Which, um, It was difficult because I had to depend on a management team I didn't know to order certain stuff, Yeah, you know, and then I wanted specific liquors that they didn't necessarily have. And then they had to hold on to that stuff. So it's definitely better the other way. But when you do one day a week, it's, you know, you don't have much. You don't really have much. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. So when you're doing a pop-up, what are the the things you learned the hard way? Things that most people don't consider their first few times out doing Um, pop-ups.
1: When you're doing one day a week, it's very, very, very tough to build your crowd. You know, well, you, you need that repetitive, like when people love your place that they can come in two, three times in a row to get addicted to it. Quote yeah. Unquote.
0: And you bring up something that I was curious about. Um, when you had this original location, the cocktail collection, that was the fixed space. Um, were you collecting emails? Were you trying to, were you doing anything to, to develop a relationship with these people?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I was doing Facebook and emails, but it was a pretty primitive style cause I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just doing it the hardcore way, you know, writing it in an Excel sheet you know, recording myself with business, business cards, you know, um,
0: how are you collecting the, your guests emails,
1: business cards, going to networking meetings oh, and yeah. just contacts, getting the information. Yeah. You know,
0: um, if, so this is something that I think is huge where a lot of people miss the opportunity with pop-ups because of the point that you're pointing out, yeah. you're moving constantly. So they have to know, they have to stay plugged in. So who you are and where you are and what you're doing. So you have to develop a channel of communication. So get creative and find a way to, to get contact information yeah. when you're doing these pop-ups. So that these people can, if they like you, they can follow you, right? you got you got to build that list. It's your most valuable tool.
1: Yeah. Um. You know, had I did it again, I probably would have had a little more exclusivity in it and made it more like you got to find this pop-up. So you got invited and it's only open... I kind of like blasted it on Facebook to everyone I could and tried to just get the word out, which which it, is a it, list. It, yeah, it's a list. It worked, but it, it definitely wasn't um, efficient. And, you know, knowing what I know now and how I would run it, I think it would be much more successful. And I would have demanded certain things Yeah. before making that partnership.
0: And the way I, the reason why I say email is because email is one of those things that just won't go away. Like pe- everyone's always going to have an email address, but Facebook might not be cool anymore. You know, Twitter might not be cool anymore. It kind of isn't, you yeah. know, people move away from platforms, but they always retain their email
1: address. Yeah. I wonder which one's going to stay. Instagram seems to be pretty yeah. uh, strong right now. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much all we do for our, our, our uh, restaurant right now.
0: Yeah. Um, any other lessons as far as things to consider when doing pop-ups, scouting space, um, logistics,
1: and like I said, I would try to get a place that you could do a pop-up for an extended period of time. Like you don't want to just do one day a week. That's a lot of work for one day of sales. Yeah. And you know, if there's another event going on or something like that, or there's a million reasons someone might not be able to come one day.
0: Yeah. Got you. Um, how long were you doing these pop-ups before you got the opportunity for SoCal Cantina? This is 2014, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm a little cloudy on the timeline, but it was quite a while. Well, you
0: guys just celebrated five years. Yeah. 2001 reverse engineer. Yeah. 2016. <laughs>
1: Yeah, two thousand sixteen as well. So when, there was about, about two years.
0: About two years. What was going on? That yeah,
1: so we did the pop ups and like I said, it was I was doing it but it was very tiring. It was very nerve wracking also. Like every Thursday, I'm like, I wonder if anyone's gonna come today, you know? Yeah. And I was like, If we no one gets here, Leo doesn't eat. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um and then so I got a call from uh the Palms Hotel Group. Uh they own uh two hotels on South Beach. And they offered me the corporate mixologist position. So I would run, I believe they had five venues. Can
0: you hook me up with a
1: free room while I'm here? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I got to contact them. I have, cancel my hotel. I haven't been there for a while. It's a beautiful hotel, too. I was just kidding. But yeah. uh, keep going. Um, <laughs> I'll get you a pool pass and you just don't leave. Right.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. I'll take you up on that. Um, it's a little dangerous right now with all the crazy spring breakers. But whatever. Yeah, that
1: place? hotel should be pretty safe. It's a, <laughs> it's a very nice, relaxed hotel right. and spa and, like, closed out to everyone else um but anyway so they had five venues and two hotels and that was when i realized that i really knew how to operate multiple places because it was it was a pretty easy job for me um and you know everyone was uh i'm trying to think of his name so um, you're you
0: uh, operating five units within the hotel yeah they had
1: all the bars not the full units okay. right so i just was in tr- charge of all the programs so, so what,
0: what th- did your life look like so you're just getting into it go for it
1: yeah, well, that was actually my problem with it. Is I ended up being you had such a huge group of personnel in the hotel, and that my job was really just coming up with specials and getting like getting press, right? So I had to meet with a lot of um, you know bloggers and you know critics, and I would just bartend only for like an hour or two just for them, and really cater and show them amazing time with drinks and magic, which was cool. But it seemed disingenuous because everyone else couldn't do what I did. Mm. You know, as far as the magic and bringing the cocktails and entertaining, you know, that how many people, with you? Um, it felt I don't know, a little like contrived and it felt like a it, it, it didn't feel like what a bar is also about because yeah. also for like the hotel uh, re- restaurant businesses, they don't necessarily want to make a profit.
0: Well, the other variable, too. Yeah. Right. There's that. Plus, yeah. you're not going to deal with regulars
1: never yeah at a hotel you won't you'll see him maybe it's once a, a year. very
0: transactional experience exactly versus a, a you know a bar where you're dependent on the same people coming
1: yeah go. it's much more community based yeah. what we have now and I much prefer that yeah you know uh, so they're both great but
0: how did you grow how did you as a professional grow during this this two years or whatever it was working with the palms
1: I learned how to do standard operating procedures you know and really learn how you know as long as you enforce key things and have the checks and balances, you can operate five different groups of people in five different places and you only be one person.
0: What's the trick to enforcing standard operating procedures?
1: Is it's, so checklists are a big thing, but it's also accountability of those checklists, you know? So a lot of people use checklists, but they don't ever, like the manager doesn't actually go through and check it themselves, you know? So if someone doesn't think they're going to get called out, they're more likely to just check it off. You okay. Know? So and we say
0: this all the time in restaurant unstoppable network. When I'm talking with the people that are in the network, you need checklists for the checklist checker. Yeah. And that's what you're saying. right Yeah.
1: Now. Yeah. hundred percent. So what does that look like? So, and, Oh, there's one more thing I want to add. You also have to get buy-in from staff. Okay. You know, you really have to explain them the use of the checklist, you know, and like you really have to sell to them. Like, look, if you use this, you're it, it seems like it's more work for some reason. Everyone thinks, Oh, it's going to add 15 minutes. You know, I'm like, it really adds five and you have no worries like you're never going to be like oh no we don't have enough hot sauce or whatever yeah
0: if it takes if it takes x amount of time to do it once and that's a pain in the ass how much more of a pain in the ass is it going to be to do it again because you didn't do it right because you weren't following the checklist exactly
1: yeah and there's nothing more frustrating in in the you know in the restaurant business when at the end of the night when you in the middle of the night when there's just something that should be there and it's just was yeah, never what's that done. gonna
0: take like in the middle of service like how's that gonna you know you yeah. gotta think about down the road you're gonna be ahead of the the experience yeah
1: and that's when most like bad reviews and happen and it's because they don't know but it's you're like i was filling hot sauce that's why it took me six minutes to get to yeah. you
0: let's go deeper into this how you get by and so you you explain to them why the checklist works what else
1: i mean i, I give them um so this uh, dale carnegie's uh, book how to win friends and influence people yes. I, I learned a lot from that and i just give them. All the situations in my life where it's helped out, you know, or I, you know, I give anecdotes of, you know, like shutting off the gas, you know, like I was like, you know, I relate to them a lot or like locking the doors. Like when you were a kid and you're like, oh, no, I didn't lock the front door because you're, you know, or with the gas, you're like, did I turn the gas off or did I not? And like, if you have a checklist, you don't ever have that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, isn't that worth? you know, exactly. just knowing that everything's okay.
0: I love it. Um, the other thing that I've heard from a lot of people um, as far as how to communicate the significance of a checklist is to explain to them that, well, explains the human nature that people want to know what the job done right looks like. They need an aiming point. We all need it. We're, we're, we're not aware of it, but we need to know we're doing a good job and a checklist ensures that It gives you that, it it silences that anxiety. You know, like, did I shut the the burner off or, like, whatever? You you need to know that, like, you're hitting your mark Mm -hmm. so you can move on, right? And I think it's one of those things we're not aware of. It's internal. But it helps bring that to people's attention, too.
1: Yeah, it does. Like, as an entrepreneur, I've been through highs and lows. And there's times when, like, everything's moving quick. And then sometimes you do get overwhelmed and you forget your own rules. And there's just no doubt, like when you use a checklist and you have a list, life is just better, easier. And smoother. how do,
0: where do these checklists live? How do, how are they organized?
1: Yeah. So, um, well that we have, we have one like group computer for, so we're, we're opening more locations. So we're starting to create bigger and bigger systems for it. Um, that are more repl- replicatable, but you know, if we just have one computer that prints everything and those are the living ones. And then, uh, important thing is that those are living checklists. Cause when, whenever get, uh, our employees will like, I don't want to say complain, but they'll bring up something that was frustrating. I tell them at the end of the night on the checklist to write that on the bottom. Yep. And then on Sundays, my managers go through the checklist and any notes, they go, oh, that's a really good point. Let's add that to yep. the checklist.
0: And what's really great right now with the, the, the world we live in is we have... A cloud-based documents where we can create one document on Google drive or Google docs or whatever. Right. And then that's the master document and everyone has access to it. So if there's a change made, it's the same change being made for everyone.
1: Yeah. So when we have more locations, we'll probably be moving to- towards that way. Um, there is a something to say though with uh, sometimes simplicity is a great thing. Yeah. And sometimes having a piece of paper, Just is easier. Well, yeah, you need a master, though. Yeah, yeah, no, we have that master exactly. Yeah. So,
0: where um where did you guys go to get your checklists? Now that you're away from the big corporation, like how did you? Because I'm sure you have checklists. We're we're talking more SoCal cantina now. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe we hold off on that, or maybe now's a good time to talk about it. Like where, like did you go? Did you steal these checklists from your previous jobs, or? Did you go to a a resource to get a baseline?
1: So yeah, I mean, I just made an Excel sheet. Okay, it's it's (laughs) that simple, really. And opened it up. There are
0: some great tools out there, and I gotta give a plug to uh, Sweet Process. That if you're somebody who isn't necessarily great with spreadsheets and you need a little bit of structure and guidance, Sweet Process is a it's a the cloud based website basically where you can enter and organize all of your checklist processes, procedures, protocols. So if you if you're somebody who needs like to you're not good at building things. Uh, and you want to centralize all of your processes and your systems, I would definitely check out Sweet Process for sure.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
0: Um, yeah. Anything else during this time at the Palms that's worth getting into before we move on? Um, as far as how you grew as a professional.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, so the same thing. I also learned how the checklist didn't work. You know, how like how quality could fall off with certain bartenders. Like not everyone is the same worker is going to get the same care. Mm-hmm. So you have to start to learn how to you know, how to get those people to buy in or how to hire people that are going to buy in.
0: Can you give me an example of that? You
1: know, um, you know, just like, uh, lime juice, not being double strained by everyone. And it's, it is hard as when you run five places and you have five managers for each of those places, and you know they're not all necessarily going to do all the steps all the time, yeah, and it's catching that and seeing that and how to make sure that it's not a repetitive thing
0: yeah and there's some there's some tools for that too if you if you're if you really if you're like at the point where you have five or more units, and you just can't be everywhere, I would say check out jolt, which is basically a it's a tablet based where when people are going through the checklist, they have to use the app to complete the checklist so if a, a checklist doesn't get completed by a certain time, you as the you know director of operations can get an alert saying so-and-so locations behind on their checklists. So you get pinged. Or if you finish a checklist, you have to take a photo of the job done right. So you can see from wherever you are that the checklist wasn't completed right. So there's tools that that's a cool thing about and these tools are available to small unit operators, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. so, you know, we have adopted adopted some of them um, right now because we have one location and it's not super necessary. No, no, but when we're opening these others, like I have looked at Jolt, like that's a really cool yeah option. Like a one that we actually did implement was it's called Margin Edge. Oh, um, have you heard of that one? Yes,
0: I have. Past sponsor of the show, but they're more of like an all-in-one platform, are they not, or?
1: Um, they're in the it, I, I feel like there needs to be more like of an all-in-one platform but is they, they're it really just like P- cost and training yes yes you know? yes and they just added labor but it, it's just good to give you know like i said knowing those percentages and as long as i know that all that we're hitting all those numbers on our you know on our prime costs I know that we're doing okay and Margin Edge is a good option to like nice. give you like a bird's eye view of it.
0: Nice. That's a little shout out for a past sponsor as well. Um, okay. Any other lessons, any other ways that the, the POMs help set you up for success to be doing what you're doing now, scaling quickly, like corporate level?
1: Um, I, it showed me kind of how a lot of influencers don't make a difference in your business. What do you mean by that? Because <laughs> so I spent a lot of time you know, wowing these critics and all these video bloggers as
0: an influencer or these, or were you the influencer or you're wowing both. these I mean, I was, yeah. I guess
1: I was an influencer cause people would follow me too there, but you know, they all had between like 10 and 30,000 and I'm, this was the time when a lot of them were going, you know, being like, Hey, I have 50,000 people following me. Can I get a free night stay and I'll put a, blo- a post up and I'm sure you've seen like the back and forth between some like owners where they're like, you can buy a room like everyone else. Yeah. You know? And that was the first time when I realized I was like, you know, some of those are bought and like just because someone sees something doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go. You yeah. know, it's very hard to have a direct turn from social media to visiting your restaurant or hotel.
0: So do you suggest people using influencers or not?
1: Uh, I it, I think it depends on the influencer and their audience. So just make sure that you're really looking at the, what it what it is. What are
0: those 10,000
1: followers? You know, exactly. And yeah. like and ask for their actual engagement so you can see what it's what's happening. Yeah,
0: you know, you know honestly, just. I think society in general, like I'm not like I, I'm not going to sit here and argue that social media doesn't work. It absolutely does. Yeah. It it has an impact on your business for sure. However, my question is, are what are, why are we letting it, you know, at at some point, like why are we, why are we focused more on how many followers we have than the person that's sitting right across from me? Mm -hmm. And I think that to do social media, to build a following, it's a lot of work. People don't realize it. Um, And it's hard to do, it's hard to to do the details well and focus on social media. So like, I think a lot of people get so focused on trying to get followers and projecting this image of what they want people to think of them instead of actually being that thing.
1: Yeah. You know, Yeah. No. I've had a lot of thoughts on this and basically where I'm at now is like, we obviously we still use our page and we communicate through it, but we don't really try to grow it necessarily because I look at it more like, you know, the two most important things in a restaurant is atmosphere and then the actual product. Yeah. Right. So as long as I have a cool space and if I have something that is already Instagramable just because it's delicious and people love it, they'll do the marketing for me. They'll exactly. take the picture of it, they'll post it on their social media, and I don't need to hit a million people all over the country. I just need to hit their five hundred friends in Miami that are nice. like, you guys do Crunch Wrap Supremes? What? Dude,
0: I did Crunch Wrap <laughs> Supremes on Valentine's Day. Um I don't know, long story behind it, but you can make from Supremes from home, and they're so much fun to make at home. Just, I don't know, some, yeah. side note. I don't know why I'm mentioning this, but um, dude, Crunchwrap Supremes. You can make one at SoCal, too. They're so good. <laughs> dude, I'm definitely getting one before I go. Um, that's super fun to hear, because it's I literally I just recently learned how to make them from home. So, yeah. sorry, I got a little geeked out there. Um, anyway, backstory, uh, backing up a little bit. Um, back to influencers. Uh, what, so, One of the reasons why I brought this up is because I saw somebody the other day, they're like celebrating 10,000 followers and it was like this big, like, I'm like, is that the world we live in today where we're celebrating how many followers we have?
1: Some do. I mean, you got to remember though, those are also, there's not, not like I've never celebrated that.
0: I just think we put, we just put so much value on that and they're not real relationships. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just something I have. It's my issue with social media. This is, I think we put too much emphasis on it and we need to just like, check ourselves
1: no I agree um, I actually my business partner handles most of our social media stuff and I'm like I just <laughs> do the work here and have the friends that I have and like and whoever wants to follow us because our stuff's great and other people are posting it great nice you know or we, oh, this is something that we kind of started doing that's smart though Where like so we don't really post it but we do um, we take a, I can't think of what it's called um, when you take a picture and it prints it out a Polaroid yeah yeah that's right so we have a Polaroid and we're getting them with our like w- with our page on there but it's so we're not actually doing any in the market it's just we give those out and if people take a picture of them and keep them great if they post a picture great but That's we don't smart. really care but that way it's kind of like we're setting ourselves up for success on social media, but we're not letting it be a, like a, a driver of our decisions.
0: Yeah. So when you're using like, any, are there any other details regarding this Polaroid approach as far as tagging or things like that, that go along with it? Where
1: I think less is more always. Okay. So just make sure there's a way for them to find you back. back you know, to this but most of the people like, you know, most of the younger users are really uh, well versed in social media. So they're going to tag the location on their own. Yeah. You know, it used to be back in the day. You're like, You'd have to be like tag us, link us, hashtag, and list all that thing. Now I think you know it's better to just make sure that you concentrate on the, the concepts so people want to do it on their own.
0: Yeah, I gotta go back to this this, this wrap Supreme thing because <laughs> I think there's like an opportunity with wrap Supremes because it's a, it's like a taco but a little bit more integrated But nobody focuses, not nobody. There are a few people that have like cornered that market. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in ghost kitchens and you're trying to do something unique and own one thing really well. If your community's not doing Wrap Supremes, there's an opportunity there. I'm just putting that out for anybody who's interested in getting involved with Ghost Kitchens. If you can own that search, I think that there's going to be a trend soon.
1: Yeah. I'm no, just throwing it, it out it, there. It, like, so we, we used to just do it as a secret menu item. And you know, I, this is something, actually, I learned from Ketsu, It's called the Big Four and Big Five, right? So like, and then someone can come into our restaurant, right? And they can get you know, our pico and our san diego taco and a pacifico and they'll be like oh that was a great you know little taco shop but those are not those are good items and those are delicious but those are not the items i want you to have like our nachos are are insane our crunch wrap is really outrageous our gardener's margarita won best margarita three years in a row
0: i know where i'm eating dinner tonight
1: you know but (laughs) i'm already here but i'm saying i i tell it to a lot of our employees it's like it's important to let guests know that you know be like you know, get maybe you want the pork taco, and like, obviously we have it, and it's great. But I was like, you want to make sure that they have at least one of each of those items. Like we want to make sure that they're tasting us on what our most wow and you know item is.
0: Everybody does tacos. Yeah, because right?
1: th- yeah, and there'd be times when people were like. You guys, have, they'd see someone in there. You have a crunch wrap. <laughs> and you're like, what? And yeah. like, we put it on the menu, and now it's our number one seller. I'm
0: telling you, man, there's a, something happening with the crunch wrap. Yeah. You guys should definitely do a ghost kitchen yeah. out for Miami
1: with crunch wrap. They do take a little time though, like compared to tacos. Yeah, to make. But it's- so like, our, it's, our staff will sometimes laugh. Like at the end, though, always I always try to like we do like a little. Sometimes I'll bet like a dollar with them and get, like how many tacos do you think we did over under? So I'll pick the number I'm like 480, and they'll be like, I think we did over that. You know?
0: Yeah, they are a little more because you got to you got to sear both sides, you got to seal it. Um, but they're so fun.
1: they're, yeah. but the, they're but like
0: they're like Mexican tacos or Mexican. Um, uh, well, that would be kind of like a burrito. I'm a huge like fan a of calzone. Hamburger, taco hybrid. It's like a calzone kind of. Yeah, that's like... a good way to do it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a crunchy Mexican, calzone. Yeah. But no, it's they're they're great. <laughs> um, so I'm like I have like a, an affinity for calzones. So anything that's like bread wrapped with great stuff inside of it. Is like just I have to dive into it. Moving away from Crunchwrap Supremes, um, going back into SoCal uh, Cantina. So let's let's start diving into like how this came to be. So w- w- how did you transition away from the Palms, and how did this opportunity come across
1: you? Yeah. So like I said, I was at the Palms. I was running restaurants for Wow and like really for bloggers. And then one day, I just got a call from uh, my uh, this guy named AJ Billipondo, who I had met twice before or three times before once he went to cocktail collection and he saw the whole thing i did magic and cocktails for him uh once we played like ultimate frisbee together and then one time i met him at a networking event and he owned doorstep delivery which was uh uh, it was like uber eats right before uber eats got big you know and so he knew that he saw uber eats and doordash and uh there's a couple others that they were all coming to miami and like and he's like there ain't no way I beat them. Yeah. You know, he's like five competitors. He's yeah. like, I'm going to get swallowed up. It's like one of those might, you know, maybe two of those will win, but i have he no able chance. to like
0: sell his list to them by chance or anything.
1: Um, yeah, no, he ended up selling back to like the main company That's because good. he was like a subsidiary of them. So he did okay, but it was, you know, he's like the gig was up, you yeah. know, he used to like sell, he used to sell his, uh, he wouldn't let any restaurants sell sodas and he would sell the sodas on his own. And that's probably how he made all his money. Okay. So he's like, you know, $4 a Pepsi, but he's like, I'm keeping all that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So he approaches you.
1: Yeah. So he gave me a a call and he just, he's like, Hey man, um, I know you did pop ups for a while. I have this opportunity to open a, a taco spot in Brickell. Um, and I just, I know, you know what you're doing. You've done it for a while and I know you're moving on, but you know, you mind if I pick your brain? And I was like, absolutely, man, I'd love to. So we talked about it for it was a very, it was like a two hour phone conversation. I gave him like basically everything I'm telling you now, but even more in depth about like the exact numbers, like all my real mess ups were, cause I didn't want to go through. Yeah. Cause like I did all this work, you know, at this point and I, I was still basically, Wait, have we,
0: have we not gotten your real mess ups? Huh? Have we not gotten your real mess ups yet?
1: Well, I mean all those were, I wouldn't even call them mess ups <laughs> necessarily, but like, you know, within every day you learn, you're like, well, I'm not going to make that mistake again. You know, like just costing things and small yeah. things with yeah. the open up. I'll think of some of the specific ones in a second. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like I I hadn't, I had in everyone else's eyes, I was probably wildly successful because I had opened four different bars. But like financially, like it's not, I had a couple thousand dollars, yeah. you know, I wasn't, I was just, just not paycheck to paycheck at that point, yeah. you know? So I, I didn't feel successful in what I was doing, but I feel like I had earned a lot of knowledge and I knew what it would take. So I was just like, I'm going to give this all to him and like, maybe I can save him five years of, you know, ups and downs and he can make a deal where it works out. And so halfway about at the end of the conversation, I was like, what about barman? Are you going to do any drinks? And he's like, well, it's a club that's it was a club that was giving their unused hours from 12 to 12. And he had like there were four vendors and he had to go in and present a business for him. And he's like, well, they're you know, I don't know how that would work, you know, because they already have a cocktail bar and they really just want a restaurant. And I was like, well, you know, I got a pretty good name, especially right now. Cocktail collection isn't going anywhere. I'm like. Not a huge fan of what I'm doing right now. Like, I, I'm glad I did it, but it's time for me to go do my own thing. Yeah. And I was like, if I come up with a cocktail menu, you want to go 50-50? And he's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, all right. And I was like, uh, what are you doing tonight? And he's like, that's part of my mantra. Do it now. And I was like, I can, I can, call, I can get out of work in an hour. I think it was like 10 p.m. So it's going to be 11. Yeah. And I was like, I'll come over and we'll talk shop. And he goes, for real? I'm like, yeah, for real. And he's like, all right, I'll see you in two hours or whatever it was. So on the way over, um, on the way over to go meet him, I, on the, I took an Uber uh, and I was just writing out, I wrote out like a pre- preliminary cocktail menu and eight of those cocktails are still on our menu today. That's awesome, man. I so, love that story. Yeah.
0: Um, so one thing I love what, from what you just shared with us from this point, I think I love the 50-50 model. A lot of people are like, no, like, more, like don't give away your profit. Here's the thing it's not 50% you're losing. It's 50% you would have never had if you didn't have that other person to do what they do well. Cause the market is so competitive now. I don't know. There's, I'm sure there's some freaks of nature out there that can do it all. Most of us can't.
1: Yeah. I think it's going to help us when we're growing a lot too, because you know, a lot of people get burned out in the restaurant business cause they feel like you have to be here seven days a week cause the, no one cares more than the owner, you know, which is true, but I have two of them. So like, you know, there's been times where things have happened in our life where, he can take two weeks yeah. off. I can take two weeks off, which is unheard of in this business. But because we're both very competent and involved, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you make half, but it's a way better. And we'll open two restaurants together, and and three and four. But you can and also divide and conquer when both are on site, right? Yeah, and he, we we have different skill sets, you know. Exactly.
0: So you can be a full package with other people, and it's also going to free you up to, to start other projects too. And I don't, and like, I, I just think I don't know. I love that fifty percent model plus. I feel like it's just it's a good way to kind of spread the wealth too.
1: Yeah, I, I, so I would agree. Like the problem with the fifty-fifty model would be if it's someone who's just an investor, okay. you know. But we're we were fifty-fifty partners, full sweat equity. Okay, you know, so like this is our baby, and that's know?
0: this location right here. The story you're telling.
1: Uh no. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> that's a long story. Yes. Yeah, uh yeah. So I go in. So we have that. The meeting is in like two days. We walk in. Um, AJ walks in first and there's a group of like five guys and then I walk in and one of them stands up and he goes is that Leo Holtzman <laughs> and AJ looks at me and he's like who are you and he goes and he goes to his other partners they like, cancel the meetings these are the guys we want to run it
0: nice. and AJ was
1: like I guess I made the right decision <laughs>
0: nice.
1: and that guy had just been to the cocktail collection and he saw the same thing that I did you know cocktails and magic and he's like whatever they're dreaming up is going to be awesome. Oh, that's awesome you know man. and so that that started the the deal there and that was Um, Time out Time out
0: When did this guy Who stood up and said Is that You know Is that Leo Like when did he discover you Uh,
1: About three years ago Probably from that point First Was it doing your was it um, from- I think he actually met me once at Katsuya and then he went to cocktail collection and he was, he was in Brickle a lot though. Like he's still involved in like a lot of events and stuff.
0: Does a, is there a theme popping up here? You know, like you never know yeah. who's on the other side. Like every, like every experience, every encounter is a future investor. Yeah.
1: The people you work with and the people you serve are always going to, you know, they'll be in your, some of them will be in your life forever in some way.
0: Yeah. I love it. So they choose you guys.
1: Yeah. So they choose us. Uh, we start to, to do it. And, we're doing great. We're open for lunch. So we're open every day from 11 to 1130, seven days a week. And we do that for seven months. Um, and the club was pretty much failing um, overall. But what happened is they, there was like a bouncer at one of the nights that ended up, you know, there was a, a, a fight and some, you know, they had to deal with a lawsuit. So they wanted out, so they ended up selling to someone else, oh. and so we ended up losing our deal. So again, we went in, we went into work on Monday, and we got a call from our partners, and they said, hey, don't open the bar. And me and Andrew are like, what? So obviously we go into the, bar, the work to open the bar, and there's locks on the doors, all our stuff's in there. And they're like, hey, we had to sell the building. And so, so this is the
0: building that the original partners were finding you and AJ to run. They, they sold the building. They locked up the doors. All of your equipment's in there.
1: Yeah. and, oh, the, and then And then so we ended up getting it back, um, but we still had a, we had a contract with them that wasn't fully honored. And that's something you learn about contracts is just because you need to know who signs it and you need to make sure that it's backed by someone personal. Because just because you win a lawsuit doesn't mean you can get the money, you know? Because you still got to garnish the bank account. And if the business has no bank account... And it's LLC, you know, so that's, was, that was a new one that I learned. Yeah. You can't just make money appear. Yeah. So we ended up losing probably, you know, over like $30,000 in that.
0: So wait, what, distill the lesson one more time, just like really spell it out what the lesson
1: is. Uh, I would always make sure that you collect the money and then that you pay your partner, not the other way around because if they collect the money, they can just say, I'm not paying you and to go after them is pretty difficult.
0: Okay. So when you you're saying your partner, you're talking about the, the uh, these other guys or are you talking about? Yeah. The
1: other guys. Cause yeah. like they would have one POS system and it kind of makes, you know, the partnerships a little difficult, but they would collect the money and then every two weeks they would give us our percentage. Okay. So, but so what happened in the last two weeks, they just didn't give us our percentage. Cause they didn't have it to give it to you. I mean, they may, they probably did, uh, <laughs> but they re- they knew the situation. They're like, what are they going to do? Ugh. you know, I, I can't, especially since we kind of saved them. Like we, we, we did very well there, you yeah. know,
0: it just bugs me that people think like that. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe no. That, well, you know,
1: it's a, you, you. just want to make sure you're super covered with the contract. You know, yep. spend some money on a lawyer, but really make make it, make it clear and make sure that you collect the funds.
0: So, what's what's in the contract? What's the term? What's the expression? What's the the sentence that needs to be in there?
1: Uh, there's not like a specific sentence. Every lawyer has like a different lingo over there. You know. Okay. But I, I, if as long as you, I guess it's a new theory I have. But as long as you collect the money it's better to get sued than to have to do the suing. Yeah. You know, because then you can say, okay, well that's what I owe. That's what's right. Yeah. You know, but the other way around, you have to, in in our situation, we would have had to depend on those people just being upstand people. And you know, money can change people sometimes. So you want to take that decision away.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you obviously worked out because here we are today.
1: Yeah. So the next day, you know, me and Andrew, you know, we had a little powwow and he's really similar to me in the do it now philosophy where we're not going to like sulk. He's like, what are we going to do? He's like, they've already sold the building. And yeah. he's like, they've already done this. Like we'll talk, contact the lawyer and deal with that. But we got people that wanted to come get tacos tonight and drinks and we're starting to build a brand and we know we can make this work, you know, cause this was the time when I started designing the menu mm-hmm. and the concept went from a pop-up to, I was like, yo, we have a really, really strong cocktail margarita concept that hasn't, it does not exist anywhere that I've really seen. You know, there's other places that do it, but they're not doing it t- quite to the caliber we're doing or the style that we're doing. Gotcha. Um, so we, we set up meetings and he was in doorstep delivery. So he knew tons of restaurant GMs and owners in Brickle. And so he just called all of them and set up meetings. And then we met with these guys where we are today. And you know, they had like, they had two unused spaces, um, that they did a lot of events with. Like we're in an event room right now that they use. And, uh, we just talked to him about it and we're like, look, this is what we're selling. This is our concept. And they're like, they're like, OK, um, the space we wanted, they said they was sold out for events too often. that uh, It wouldn't make sense because they wanted to do like a continuous partnership. Yeah. Because I had also told AJ, I was like, I'm not doing one day a week. Yeah. We're doing seven or none. Yeah. And then we so. More space. Exactly. And then so they asked for the, and then they're like, well, what about this little outside bar? You know, we're having issues running. And we're like, OK, yeah, we can test that out. And they're like, when can you do it? And I was like, tomorrow. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 for real. And I was like, tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, you think you can get people to come here? And eat, and we didn't have a kitchen at that point because they still had another concept there. And get drinks, and I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "And you can execute?" Yeah. And we did it. It cost us nine hundred dollars. We got like equipment. We worked, you know, through the entire night to get everything situated. Got all of our old equipment out there. What
0: were your expenses at nine hundred dollars?
1: Glassware, glass racks, making the bar efficient. Yeah. So, like, you know, our style of cocktails are—it's a very unique bartending style, and our drinks are are very particular to us. And so that if you don't, you know, this is probably like where magic comes in, you know, like, you know, a lot, a big thing for magicians, it's called pocket management. Okay. Right. So, you know, where every single little dudad in in is every pocket, yeah. exactly. It's yeah. mise and place. Um, but on a slightly different level, cause you want, you know, you also have the most efficient route to get to everything. Okay. You know, cause it, you know, if you, in magic, if I make a bigger movement covers a smaller movement, right. So you want to do, like, this, this, the closest switch, you know. So, like, for our cocktails, like, all the bottles are grouped next to each other. So you don't have to move your hand too far. Like, that's, like, a small little one. Um, and just where every tool is placed and, like, how you rinse out your tin.
0: Okay. This is where I was starting to get – this is the kind of stuff I was hoping to get into when I shelved the what have you learned about magic and how does that serve you as a bartender. So it's just efficiencies, really. And
1: in- Yeah. Like, I would say, like, if I, you know, life after a restaurant, I would consider myself, like, an efficiency expert. For, you know, do for you the consult on efficiency? I have done it in the past. Um, right now, like not the bandwidth. The, yeah, this is this <laughs> is the focus. We, yeah. we know we can open a bunch of these. You know, we want to you know do like four or five in the next couple of years. Gotcha. So this is where like all my focuses are going. Um, but I still do that all the time for our bar, you know, like we've gained, we've doubled our, we've changed sizes here three times now. Wow. You know, well,
0: well, that's a cool thing. So let's get into that. So I, I pulled you off track. So you find this space, mm-hmm. um, you're negotiating a section of this space, like an area of this building.
1: Yeah. Just, it was their little outdoor bar. So at that point it was a, like a six seat bar. Um, what you see now is not the same. And then it had like, it just had a, and that was it in the back and it had two tables. So, so how we, many
0: seats are you guys using now?
1: About Right now? Yeah. Right now we have about like 120.
0: 120. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So here's the reason why I love this approach. Because you start where you can. And that's six seats. Fine. But if you can start someplace that gives you lateral growth over time as the demand's there. If you can knock down a wall or absorb that business or the... You know what I'm saying? If you can go into a building that has room for growth... Mm-hmm. if you can blow out a wall or expand to it, you don't, like, I, I love seeing that because you can take on what makes sense right now. And it leaves room for natural organic growth and you can take on more expense as you need it. But if you were to start with 120 seats, you might not be able to build up the reputation in the, the, the clientele to support that right away. It takes time.
1: Yeah. And like, and if, especially if you, you need to work out a deal to make sure that the owners know you're not taking business from them. So, you know, That was something at first, Tobacco Road, like we had an issue with when we were selling there. They were saying that the sales for the total building were going up not too much, but their business was continuously going down. So they Uh were saying that, you know, a lot of guests just are not going to our bar and they're just going upstairs to the new shiny bar. And Uh I was like, and ultimately we talked it out and I was like, there is just no way that someone was coming here for a $2 warm beer and they decided to go get a $15 cocktail upstairs 12 weeks in a row. Yeah. You know? And if they did, then the sales should be shooting up because now that $2 thing is, you know, that yeah. much. So what we did when we, when we first came here, we offered to only do tequila. Okay. So we only did tequila drinks. Um, so that, that made them really comfortable. And then after they were like, you know what, you guys are doing a great job and you, it's a very different vibe. And they're like, offer what you want, make all the cocktails. And then they got the inside. Uh, there was a sushi place that was going out of business. Cause this is a very eclectic building. So there's a little tiny kitchen in the center that the sushi kitchen used. Okay. And when they went out of business, you know, we were doing great with just the drinks and we did like walks that we would make just for like chips and dips so that people would have something. And then that's when we... uh, Because it used to be SoCal Taco. And then we switched to SoCal Cantina because it was a smaller cantina vibe. Okay. And then they gave us this little kitchen. And that's when we started doing tacos.
0: So real quick, just take us through the evolution from 2016 to now, but without getting into detail. but just kind of paint that picture of how you guys grew. Yeah. All
1: right. So we we had a meeting with them and did a uh, one-day pop-up where all we offered were cocktails and we did uh, chips and guac that we we pre-made. And then... They said, Hey, that was great. We came back the next day and did it again. And that kept happening for a week. And then we're like, okay, now let's, let's talk. And so we set up a a deal that for, to be there for a much longer time. And then after about two months of that, they opened the kitchen. So we started, um, making tacos in there. So AJ was in the back. I was in the front. And then we started offering tacos on their side because we had too little few people in our space to eat and we can only serve 12 people at a time, but everyone else was waiting. So they're like, well, why don't you guys just sit at our empty tables over here and then, um, and yeah. then after that, we started to do some expansion work. So we made a build bigger bar. Then we knocked down our back wall and took over this alley space and turned it into this whole alley that you see. Um, and that was, and then, yeah, and and, and now it is where it's at. And now, you know, during COVID, they closed down uh, their other concept, and then we just like so we have an even extra space just for this interim period. So
0: but prior to COVID, how long were you at, operating at this capacity?
1: At what size?
0: the 120 at what point 120
1: oh so be- before COVID, we were at probably only like 60 seats okay and so how that, long did
0: it take you to to 60
1: uh took about uh, probably about a year and a half
0: okay see the the natural organic growth like because yeah. you don't out of the gates have the kind of volume the to sometimes offset your expenses so if you can start small and grow organically i think it's just huge yeah and um, to get
1: 40 of those seats like we had to do construction so you know and You know, we we were still building from the last thing, and I had all those you know mini failures and and hardships. So I didn't really have the funds to do it, and we needed it was sixty thousand dollars to open the space, but it opened up five new tables. Yeah, you
0: didn't even have a kitchen. Yeah, like it's just like if you do something right, like the opportunity will show up. Just just do it. What was it? Or just just
1: do do it now. Do it now, right? (laughs) If
0: you're doing it now and you're doing it right, like opportunity will come, um, for sure. So okay reflecting back at the past five years, what were the biggest challenges for you guys or biggest mistakes you made?
1: Um, trying to, th- I don't really have any specifics. You know, there's, yeah. there, there's a lot of like little ones with like managers that you hire and like, you know, miss hirings and trying to think if we have, uh, we probably like an early overextension. Uh, cause we did open a location on South beach. Okay. But to be honest, it, it did well and we could have still operated if we just had a chance to get out and South beach is a very uh, strange market that's been confirmed this week, you know, but that, that was hard to have two places with only me and AJ and we didn't have any bankroll. So we were still like paycheck to paycheck, you know, clearing that. And it was probably too soon of an expansion. So we did well and we could have made it work, but it was definitely an undue amount of stress. You know, you definitely want to make sure that you have, you know, three years out of space. So
0: if you could have do, do it all over again, this expansion, what would you have done differently?
1: Um, for the, the next location is... Um, well, this expansion
0: I, to South, Beach, South yeah. Beach, if you could have done it over and if you think if you did something differently...
1: I would have waited and I wouldn't have done the same type of deal we did. So like the, the doing a percentage is an operating in another business and it's been helpful that I'm an efficiency guy because we have to come up with a lot of different systems because there's four operations in this one building. you know. So you have a lot of trouble with space and all that. And so we went and we did it again. So it's a lot of labor intensive. Yeah. So it was really easy to set up when it was me and AJ because we're the two owners and we're making sure everything's taken care of. But when we expanded and we had to hire other people, you know, some of those systems dropped off and they dropped off as we opened another one. So I was just working double time going before between the two.
0: So your systems, you created them, but they, they weren't being carried out.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then, so I learned that, you know, that's when I learned that you have, a, have to have the checklist for the checklist.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's huge. Um, so you said you would have waited, waited specifically for what?
1: um see that's i'm thinking about it now and it's kind of an interesting thing because we were also a small space and we didn't have that extra seating that we have now it also
0: contradicts everything you've been saying just do it huh just just do it now
1: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) uh well i i mean as opening that location just because we weren't financially viable for it you know like i was i was basically doing it like i feel like uh, this is a good way to say it a a pop-up is it's good for your first space it's not really great for your second okay you know gotcha. so because like there are a lot of more headaches there's a lot more issues that you have to as market it so i feel like if we would have that second location instead of doing a part if we would have taken the extra time and like gotten like a five-year lease together and had a stronger plan instead of just like doing a pop-up again yeah it wouldn't have been as much headaches gotcha, but man. it was also good that we did it because since it was a pop-up i didn't lose my shirt on it that's true yeah. you know
0: Yep. Yeah. um anything so, sorry go ahead
1: i was gonna say so i guess i don't regret doing it now because i found out you know like I said, you. Oh, here's a good thing for your deals. You also want to make sure that you have a way to get out. You know, a lot of time Backdoors. investors don't like that because they're like, "Oh, what you're planning on failing?" You know, and then I just tell them, I was like, every restaurant can fail. Like, there's a million reasons that it's not going to work. You know, that are out of your control."
0: Yeah, and that's something we don't talk a lot about on the show, but it's super important is having an exit strategy for everything you do. Because yeah. ideally, you want it to work out, but most times it doesn't
1: yeah like there was a i i think a, i forget the name of the bar but a, a, it was it's an anecdote that some guys have told me and it was a bar that was really successful had a great crowd and it was in in new york city and then they had to cl- close the subway for two years for whatever reason because they were doing construction on it and it wasn't really it wasn't planned maintenance uh, so this bar went from being the most accessible to the least accessible space was that the avery um no it was like by joshua tree or something okay. like that but uh
0: because I know the Avery shut down in New York City. I, I,
1: I Maybe could've...
0: they shut down in Chicago. I don't know.
1: Did that? Well, I don't know. No,
0: I was curious about the Avery and you and your approach because I'm thinking about your efficiencies. And I want to do, do you guys like the Avery? If you aren't familiar with the Avery, what's unique about the Avery is they treat the back bar. They treat the bar like a, a kitchen where everybody, you know, they'll have, a st- uh, they'll have a station for garnish. They'll have a station for, I don't know enough of the, the bar terminology, but you know what I'm saying, right?
1: Yeah. It's, it's, and they
0: bring it together at the pass. Right. Yeah. Every they have a position for every element of the drink and then they bring it together at the pass. So you could be instead of having one bartender that's responsible for everything, you can, you know, divide and conquer like a kitchen does. Yeah. Do you guys do anything like that?
1: Um I might take some ideas from it, but I do feel like I like the idea of having a bar and watching you make the cocktails and yeah. I like the you know, so we do have like some teamwork bartending stuff that we do that like speeds it up. You know, like yeah. when we do our service bar, you know, there's a very tricky way to get drink times cut off you know like our service bartender doesn't place glassware okay the drink runner does all rims all his glasses places all his glassware and ices all of his drinks so all our service bartender has to do is just crank out cocktails the entire time so i'm cutting out you know you don't realize it but ringing up it's the same thing with your bartenders like if you teach them how to make a drink in under a minute but it takes them you know a minute and a half to find the button on your pos what was the point of all that training you have to look at it from every angle and i was timing them and When I first started, I would only time them when they started to make the drink. I would let them do the setup. And now I'm like, I'm not going to tell you anything. I just clock it right away and you have to go and rim your glass. And sometimes it takes like 20 seconds to, you know, we have some complicated uh, rims. So it takes a little bit of time, 20 seconds to rim a glass. And that's time that, you know, your drink runner can just do for you and you Mm. can pump out those drinks way faster than anyone thought you could.
0: Interesting. Um, We're at an hour and a half of recording time right now. It goes by so fast. I've been loving this conversation, Um, but I'm curious. um, I do want to get a little bit more um, if you have any other elements that you think being like some of the tricks you've taught your team about incorporating magic with service and how that kind of heightens the experience that you can share with our listeners. If there's anything that comes to mind that hasn't come out already, I want to give you an opportunity to drop that on us. And plus anything else you were hoping we would discuss that we haven't discussed up to this point. I know you're scaling. You have how many locations? One now, right? But yeah, we
1: have one right now. We're opening one in Tuscaloosa. Um, So we're in construction right now. I go in a couple of weeks to go check it out. And that should open in like um, August or September.
0: And then you have plans for Texas. I, I think. Yeah. I remember. So we're
1: going out in Texas to do possibly do something out there uh, in Austin. Yeah. And then the, those are pretty much the two main places that I want to be. I think those are the best markets. And then, you know, the, the main goal is to have three locations in each city and that's about it. Okay. You know, cause then you can have a commissary kitchen and you can really save on like certain labor and control.
0: Gotcha. So, um, to the big picture, uh, back to that, any elements of service that you've that you've heightened because of your experience with magic that you can share with our our audience
1: yeah i mean there it's a ton of ton of little things that just add up but like to really take it like you know it is a show you know like a a lot of bartenders i remember when they're coming up with all these different ways to handle poor cost you know they had like the poor spouts you know and there's so many different ways to do it and there was a general consensus but no one can really articulate it that we all hated it you know and as a, a bar business owner is just like, you know, he just sees the numbers and he's like, it's just pouring the liquor out, but there is something beautiful about watching a great bartender work. So I just took that to the next level, you know? So I really teach them. I was like, you know, always think about like, you're taking a picture and doing a show. So you want to make sure like the drink is placed in the center of it, that you're drawing attention to it, you know, um, make sure that all your products are displayed correctly. You want to have mise en place in everywhere. And then you want to really look at the, the like it's good to like take videotapes of you making a drink and you really want to look at something that looks like uh like a pause or something or whenever something's not completely fluid and figure out why and how to make that better you know because like every aspect from the beginning to the end of the, the drink making process including ringing it in yeah. ringing it up like even with our um the way i have my guys do our our checkbooks and our training i time them on that you know, when you print it and how you put it in, because sometimes I'll watch someone work and they're trying to get that receipt, you know, three, four yeah, times in the, in the slit slot, yeah. and they just can't get it. And I was like, why'd you make the drink in a minute? You know, you wasted all the time doing that. Same with busing. You know, I do like a, I do busing Olympics and uh sometimes my team gets there like, man, you're just so competitive. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm I'm always a good sport. I don't like parade anyone or anything like that. Like and they they all get into it. So even like last night I was at the bar. And one of our guys, Isaac, he's like, ooh, single gardener's margarita. He's like, Leo, can you tie me? And I, I have a whole list on my phone of all their cocktail times at all times. And they always, is that a new record? And I think that's important to get your staff into it. And then sometimes they'll come, with, come up to me and they'll be like, hey, I found out a faster way to do this. You know? And it's just like twisting your wrist in a certain way. Yeah, you know? like that's, that's a, that's, This is a cool example for Magic. So if you're, we do a, a drink that has a full double rim, right? Okay. So we rim it lightly in, in sugar. And then we do run it through salt. So it almost has like a kettle corn taste to it. It's sweet and salt. That's the the gardeners. But that rim obviously takes a while. So what you're supposed to do is you you hold it from, it's a magic grip called the claw, right? And you hold the bottom of the glass like that and you can twist your fingers. So you only get like 10 to 15 degrees of it. And then you also can twist your wrist and then you can twist your shoulder. Ah. So when you put that into the orange and you undo it, it goes a full circle. So you get 360 degrees. And then same thing, we you do that same motion in the sugar and the salt, you know, and it cuts out a lot of time from someone who was, you know, when they use two hands to kind of like rotate the glass.
0: I love that. So I'm I'm making notes over here because you're dropping a lot on us. You're into it. So some of the things that I've pulled. The first thing, if you want your, your your team to be into it. You've got to be into it, and you're clearly into it. Yeah. And when they see that you're into it, they, you bring them up to that level. You're bringing them in on your excitement, your love for it, right? And they feed off that energy. The other thing that came out of this is the great game of business. Business is just a game. But like every game, you need to keep score. There's a, numbers are great for that, right? Like There's so many different things you can measure, whether it's efficiency, like what you chose to do. Your, your score is the time. You made it all about efficiency and time, right? Yeah. The other thing you can use to is, is, is obviously money, revenue, because these are numbers. And when you when you make it about the game, about beating the the number, right? Whether it's time or cost, or, or like lowering your costs or increasing your profits, like the great game of business, right? Like the, make it into a game, and it sounds like that's what you've done.
1: Yeah. I guess I do that with everything in my life, but yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It makes it more exciting. And it, and it also, you know, it, it lets everyone else buy into it because they can see that they can make a difference and change yeah. it. And I always tell them, I was like, and the, the reason I, the, we, the bartending pro the bar program is where it's at is because I always bring in input and I tell that to my staff, I always want them to be included. So I was like, if I do anything and you think there's a better or faster way, please tell me. Thank and, you, Ryan. And we yeah and and we will race <laughs> yeah we will see how it is and we'll see it and we'll we'll say well that is a better way but look it makes a really like sloppy rim so I don't think we're gonna be able to do that
0: yeah I mean I'm I'm loving this conversation is there anything we have not touched on up to this point that you think would bring a ton of more value that I mean you've already dropped a ton of value anything <laughs> that we've I just missed that you think we should discuss before we go to the speed round
1: yeah um I I would say probably um a, a big aspect that makes us successful in our restaurant is that we're not afraid to uh, to even spend the money to move walls to make things more efficient, you know? Yeah. And, like, I think a lot of restaurants, they might do something, and it works, and so they're just happy with it. They're not always improving. And we've had no choice because we've gone from 12 seats to 20 seats to 40 seats to 80 seats to 100 seats to 120, you know? And even now, like, I'll look, I'm like, oh, how can we add one more table in here? But by doing that, you're putting extra strain on the ecosystem of the restaurant. So even right now we're going through it because you know, we just had spring break. So like we've actually like doubled our sales in the last four weeks, you know, every week. Wow. Um, while, and we've done it with four less people than we've ever had on staff. Wow. And what we had to do was change a ton of our systems and how, you know, certain things that we can pre set up and not pre set up to make sure that we can serve yeah. that many people. You just hit on
0: something that's I think really key, which is a lot of people are looking, we're still in COVID, so it still hurts a lot, but I think that we learned. So it forced us, the industry to get so efficient because we had no choice, yeah. and I think that the a good byproduct of COVID nineteen is that it's gonna we're gonna we notice all these efficiencies and we found ways to be, in as a collective as it as an industry to be more efficient. And I think it's gonna take the whole industry to the next level, and I, and I, I encourage you that if you found ways to be more efficient, don't dump those like like you you up you know you increase the standard of operation right, stay there, and and continue to operate continue to operate at those efficiencies and it sounds like that's what happened with you guys like you know like what's going through your mind as i share this
1: a hundred percent i mean i was just thinking about all my staff like you know i'll tell them about all these efficiency ideas and i think one reason they come back to me is because like i explained like i'm trying to make it more efficient not so you can do more work but so you have more time with the guests like mm. what we have to get done is already what we have to get done i'm just trying to make your life better smoother easier faster yeah and you do make more money at a restaurant like you know A lot of restaurants have trouble with this. Like our guacs can come out in a minute and our drinks are complicated so they can take up to three to five, you know, and that's the kiss of death. If the food hits first, you know, and I tell them how important it is to just make sure the drinks hit first and half of that is them timing their menu and knowing it, but also half of it is making sure that my guys are always efficient and ready to go.
0: Yeah. So any technology that any technologies you've adopted in the past 12 months to be more efficient to streamline process?
1: Um... You know, uh, well with COVID we did have to, we had to bring on, um, we used to not have, uh, that much table service. And okay. when we added the tables, we did, we brought on open table, um, m- margin edge. We brought on just to make sure that our costs are exactly in line cause they manage all your prices. So like, you know, with COVID a lot of like lettuce would go up all of a sudden. Yeah. So it was good to know exactly what was happening in real time. Yeah. Um, and then bar metrics is an important one that we use. Okay. What's bar um, metrics? So they, they, um, they tie up, it's an inventory system and they tie up with your POS with each individual bottle and all your recipes. And so every week I get the exact cost of every single bottle pour.
0: Okay. And what what POS is it? Play? Uh, it what ties
1: way? up with a bunch, but uh, we use toast. Okay. So it ties on with them. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch other that it uses, but it's that's a good report. And every week uh, on Tuesday I put it behind the bar. So And we have meetings with them every couple months, like so a new staff gets like, re-upped on how it's used. But it, the bartenders get into it. As long as, you know, I think sometimes that technology can be – the kiss of death for some owners because they can get too tied into the numbers. And I never look at the numbers that we did in the past as like profit lost. I looked at it as lessons learned, you know, like if our vodka costs were off, you know, and I explained to him, I was like, that's sales. We both lost together, you know, cause 50, you know, 50% might've just been unaccounted for, you know, but 50% could have been miss rings, you know, and there's, there's no real line of defense for if you're busy at a bar and the bartender forgot to ring in something and the managers can't be there at all times. And he's like, was it two rounds or three rounds? you know and that's de- it definitely slips through the cracks for yeah. everyone and every once in a while and I think them showing the numbers and they're like are my, my service partners like how how'd that happen They're like there's no way they're like I did all I did was care about it. And I was like well let's talk about last week and that's when like you know what that makes perfect sense there is like I'm thinking about that night when we got hit really hard and I probably did miss out and that that actually explains why we're off exactly by four it. shots of vodka
0: that's awesome Um okay so almost ready for the speed Um One last question. The mission is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. Restaurant Unstoppable's mission. I truly believe that if we can transform the restaurant industry, we can transform the world because this industry touches so many people. Um, So with that said, how have you transformed? Who is Leo today versus the Leo when you got into this industry?
1: That's a good question. (laughs) Um, I I would actually say when I first... I haven't fully made the... complete transition to that but I would say when I first started I never thought that I would do this so I was just learning everything and taking everyone's advice because there was no way that I was an expert no in anything yeah. and now I, th- I think I still hold on to that so I still am the student and I still every time I go into a bar I look behind the bar and I look at their setup and I look at the bartenders and I see all, and I'm like okay now we can order a drink whether it's bad or good or positive or negative I just like to see how they operate because I'm, I'm always trying to learn but I definitely think I have taken that step now a little bit more into like the mentor field. So I kind of know what I'm doing and, and, I'm more learning through teaching and you learn a ton through teaching yeah like I my bartenders still race me in cocktails and I still hold most of the records proudly which makes me happy and sad because I <laughs> want someone to beat me yeah. but they're like why are you still good you don't bartend anymore you bartend like twice a year muscle memory man. you know it's muscle memory and I was yeah. like because I'm constantly telling you guys what mistakes you're making so I'm not making those simple mistakes yeah you know I don't try to go fast I try to just not make those mistakes that you guys are making yeah and like it. and they've been they've been taking that to heart the last couple of weeks and I see a difference.
0: Great answer, man. I love this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure your profitability and restaurant success. Trusted by over 400 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the tools you need to streamline labor operations, communicate with your team, and retain your talent. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you already use in trust like toast, turning labor into a competitive advantage for you and your business to get three months. Absolutely free. Head over to www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S. Dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. Get on it. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
1: Perseverance.
0: What is your biggest weakness? Um, trust. What is one thing or question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? When you're, when you're growing your team.
1: Uh, future plans
0: what is your biggest challenge today and how are you dealing with it
1: hiring and uh, we're making things more efficient than we ever thought we could
0: yeah. <laughs> share one code wait more efficient in the hiring process or compensating because you don't have the people
1: compensating because we don't have the people okay, like we added sure. a drink runner
0: got it uh, <laughs> share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team accountability what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So it's something that's common within the four walls of your business, but not common throughout the industry to go above and beyond.
1: Also, the, uh, I don't know how to answer one word, but uh, treat people like they're a guest in your home, mm. not like they're a guest in your restaurant.
0: I love it. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner?
1: Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people.
0: What was your biggest lesson from that book?
1: Oh man, there's, there's a ton. I I use them in every day, but one of them is that uh, a person's name is the sweetest sound they've ever yes, heard. Yes,
0: I love that. Um, and that book is on audio. So if you head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable, uh, you can get that book for free if you're not already an audio book listener on Audible and uh, you're supporting the show. And I, I love that book, man. Um, the biggest lesson for me in that book is... Dude, people just love to be loved. If you give love, you get love. It's that
1: simple. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good thing with like, you know, I tell my staff, like, you know, obviously you get guests that are from all walks of life and like have different opinions of you. Yeah. And I always try to tell them. And it was was something I learned in magic too that we didn't really touch on. But uh, someone said, be their champion. Yeah. Right. No one sees a magician go onto the stage. No one comes into a restaurant like, and they're like, man, I hope this sucks. Right. Like they go in expecting the world. So if, if they don't do that. We should look within because then we fail to deliver, or fail to explain, or fail to show them what we really have to offer. Beautiful.
0: Uh, Name one service you've hired or outsourced to. So this isn't a technology, but this is a a, a person or a group of people that do something well that you've outsourced to. Uh,
1: I guess Bar Metrics. Okay.
0: Um, it's I'll take it. It's a technology too, but it's is it not? Or they just come in and do all your measuring huh do they come in and do your inventory? yeah they inventory? Do, they do the inventory oh, okay. nice. I would Perfect. Al,
1: it's it's always better to have a third party inventory I love it I love it. Um, it's stupid to make your managers do it right. <laughs> they're based in Florida aren't they uh, I believe so yeah yeah
0: um name one technology that you've outsourced within you know the recent past that has had a huge influence in operations
1: in the past twelve months I would say or
0: beyond we can pick anything
1: yeah I, I would say margin edge
0: margin edge good i love it when sponsors get recommended organically on the show that makes me feel really great uh so this is the last question it's a doozy get ready for it if you got the news you'd be leaving this world tomorrow all the memories of you your work and your restaurants will be lost or through departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy what would those three pieces of wisdom be
1: do it now is definitely the first one i would tell them all the time one um what you know you can be two and 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 try to be empathetic with everyone
0: three i've loved this conversation leo thank you so much we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out who is somebody you respect and admire in this industry somebody for me to go after as a future guest call them out
1: yeah um i would say jose Menden. you know i always look for flavors that you know it like i said like the crunch wrap like you get addicted to like something that you eat and you're like i can't not have that again and he always does that in his restaurants
0: jose look out i'm coming after you i'd love to get you on the show you're on my radar you've been on my radar we're gonna make it happen eventually and how can we connect with you if we really enjoyed this episode and we want to connect with you
1: yeah um probably instagram is the best way uh cocktail underscore conjure um or and you can also reach me through that or through our socal cantina um, Instagram, either one of those. And also through our website at SoCal taco.com. Um, all those emails to, still go personally to me so i read them all
0: nice and if you're listening to this episode and you want to meet leo during a live zoom call leo has agreed to join us live in restaurant Stoppable network to answer any of your questions so if you had questions that were in the back of your mind and you want to join the network and meet leo and get some peer mentoring um we are going to arrange that so come hang out in the network i'd love to have you guys join and uh, you can meet leo um And Leo, just thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, and your mentorship. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Uh, great advice coming from our man, Leo Holtzman. And Leo is making himself available in Restaurant Unstoppable Network for some peer mentoring on Monday, May 10th at 1.30 p.m. If you enjoyed today's conversation and you want to reflect on his episode or just get some peer mentoring and advice for you and your own business, make sure you join us in three weeks from when this episode goes live may 10th at 130 pm uh, again special thanks to leo holtzman for joining us awesome stuff so if you guys are enjoying this podcast and you want to take your you're growing you're learning to the next level I, I highly encourage you to join restaurant unstoppable network It's where I'm really slowing down and connecting with my listeners on a different level And the way I see it I, I'm, I'm trying to serve my listeners on a whole new level where I'm making myself available to listen and to say what are your pain points what do you want me to go after who do you want me to go after and uh, let me be let me go to work for you and if, if you want to join this network of people coming together to share knowledge uh, to to connect on a deeper level with my guests and head over uh, to the show notes uh, this is episode seven hundred and and I want to say it's nine seven hundred and ninety four. Oh my gosh! Head over to restaurantstopable dot com slash seven hundred ninety four. We'll have a link in the show notes to join the network and get a thirty day uh, trial on us. Or just head over to network dot com. And in the network, this coming week we have a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we have like like always every Tuesday and Thursday. I make myself available for an hour for coffee with Eric. Where I'm just there to ch- chit chat and to answer your questions and to help you guys connect with the people that can take your restaurant to the next level. I also have a peer mentoring scheduled this week with Vincenzo Betulia. So if you liked last week's episode and you want to connect with Vincenzo Betulia, that's 4 p.m. this Wednesday, the 21st. And then we have a workshop scheduled for Thursday. At 2 p.m., it's going to be a workshop, The Do's and Don'ts of SMS Marketing with Zach Oates from Ovation. I'm really excited for that. And uh, again, Coffee with Eric on Thursday, uh, same day as that workshop. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, if you want to take your learning to the next level, come hang out in the network. And also, we have our first live course going live in the network in a few weeks. If you want to take your profit and costing skills to the next level, Rudy Mick is going to be Uh, taking us through some secrets that only uh, the best of the best know. So what are you waiting for? Come hang out. We'll see you there. Peace out.